Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. And we are joined with Malik Abdul. We're going to be talking about the election today that we still don't quite know. Right, we... Well, what's going to happen? Knows. Nobody knows. And again, like, like, I think one of you, I don't remember which one, I think it was Malik, the crying, like, how do we not know the results of the election the day after the election? Again, I was in Brazil. They were able to do the entire country in, like, three minutes. <laughs> like, I, I, look, at 9.03, they had the results. And they have compulsory yes. elections. Compulsory. Meaning yeah. all of those people basically voted, and they were able to tally up all of those results. Did they do, like, the fingerprint ink thing to show like, I, I don't voted. think they had a fingerprint ink thing. They had, um, no, I don't think they did that. It was electronic voting. Um, like I said, it was compulsory, so they basically knew who voted in mm-hmm. that situation. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if But no I, early voting or anything like that. Now, see, that I don't remember, if they had early voting. I, I do remember on the day of the voting thing, though, um, public transportation was basically free. It took place on a Sunday, so it wasn't like, you know, it was on a Tuesday. Um, and yeah, I mean, they basically knew, meaning when you went to vote, they basically knew who voted. Right. I mean, right. I don't, why can't we do that here? Can I you give you an list? example okay. before we go to headline something? Um, give you an example of something that I think works. I know people are against electronic. I'm fine with the electronic. I'm fine as long as I'm, you have a tether to who voted for who. Right. So let me tell you how it worked. I want receipt. In, yeah, I want receipt. Let me tell you how it worked in D.C. and I was actually impressed by it. So I voted. I got a text about 10 minutes later yeah. saying that I voted. Well, that's good. I didn't get that in, in Northern Virginia. I, I yeah. was, it was the first time. Yeah. I was like, oh, what? Which means on some level they had an idea of who voted for I, So I'm fine with that. But even still, that's not with unflawed. That. Let's just. I mean, yeah. any system yeah. could be unflawed, but right? Like, I, I mean, never, even with that, somebody could say, well, I mean, just because you got the text doesn't mean that right. it. I mean, it anybody could do that. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I've never gotten any verification at any other time that I've ever voted. Yeah. I I want a printed receipt. I want the receipt. And, and, and I I'm fine. I'm receipt. even fine with you can go to the site and you can say, okay, this person voted for this person. That way I know that my vote, or at the very least, I have a higher, let's say, propensity of belief that the vote was counted. Something, something. Yeah. It shouldn't be that complicated. And, and the That's worst not. part is leading up to this, Joe Biden's pitch, you know, the night before was like, was like, uh, whatever the results, you have to believe in them, you have to trust them. <laughs> They are legitimate. Don't oh, deny. Oh, that was part of the whole January 6th thing. Don't they deny to go the there. results. Yeah. I don't think we're going to have a January. Well, we're not going to have a January no. 6th because of what's But happening. to me, yeah. that's something a winner, like a, a winning team says. And and, yeah. and the polls up to that point were saying the Democrats were going to take a hit. Yeah. Right. So it's strange to me that he would say something like it's you a would, weird pitch. You would think that with all the complaining that Republicans had about the election, that all of these guys would say, OK, let's nail down our elections. Just that. Couldn't do it. There's Couldn't, no reform. I, mean, There's... I know, but it, it's like, for me, it's like, stop. I can't say that. Stop complaining about the elections if you're not going to do anything about right. making sure that the elections are solidified. Right. Nobody's doing anything. Right. Which which got across. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. I don't, they don't, I mean, come on. If you full well believe, oh my God, Joe Biden stole this election. Okay. 
then it looks like you would be very animated about right. doing stuff that makes sure that the elections are legitimate and that you can verify. Right, Meaning like, who's that, making better machines? Who's making better ballots? Who's making, let's go find them. or receipts, or receipts, or receipts. Nope. And none of them Put did it, which means, in it, which means they don't buy it. Th- they don't. And that's why the only thing that they've been able to do is say, no ballot boxes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we just want this to complain about. We don't yeah. really don't want to do anything about it. And we're only going to complain about it if we lose. If we win, well, the election were flawless. I will flawless. say this. Greatest elections on the planet. Complacency doesn't necessarily mean the thing that they're complaining about is not wrong. Because that's, that's life in general, right? Yeah. People complain all the time and do nothing to fix their life. How many people complain about their weight and do zero about it? Now, I feel you on that. So same thing. Because there's a lift that takes place with the weight stuff. You get accustomed to making behavior. But this is a political space. And in the political space, these guys can complain. They can take a vote. It's not like they're digging ditches in order to fix it. just complacent. Yeah. I mean, look, they can be complacent. But my thing is, don't meaning, don't complain to me about your weight right. loss if you're not going to do anything right. about the exactly. weight loss. I'm that yeah. person too. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Right. Enough, with your, enough with your, yeah. your it's like, oh, whining and moaning. Pounds. Um, you're going to eat the hamburger? Dude, you've just had three. I know, man. I know, man. Life know, is hard. This weight, man. I just yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I get it. Right. But There's some is, things that are just difficult to get beyond. That is the main story. But this is it's, the electoral thing. This is the main story. That is our main story for our headlines. And yes, let me address what's on my head first. <laughs> I am wearing a real Russian Ushanka placed on my head by one of the producers. And... Uh, Apparently, I have a dead animal on my head. Yeah, there's a face in the back. I, oh, yeah. I have not. I'm almost there, afraid the head, to touch the face it. In the, in the back. Right. I know. I'm almost afraid. This is a real Russian Ushanka. And apparently, because it's super cold outside, we were like 80 degrees two days ago. Yes. And today, we're like 40 degrees. Yes. No joke. And so today, I got a Russian Ushanka placed on my head. It's very pretty, but... And very comfortable, I hate to admit. Imagine warm. But yes, very warm. But I hate to admit. I hate to admit that part. But it is still a dead animal on my head. So I don't know how long I can stomach wearing this, but that's okay. <laughs> All right, let's let's head over to the main story. As you know, the midterm elections. Here's your update. This is not the final call. This is an update. So let me underscore that because very few races are called. I've, you know, as of going on air, I have seen zero districts, zero states saying 100% of the votes have been counted, but high 90s in some cases, in others, in the 30s, 30% of the vote has been counted. I don't know how. I don't know how. Greatest elections on the planet. Yeah. That's so aggravating to me. You shouldn't have to wait that long. Like 30% of the votes. You're just counting votes. Okay, this person, okay, that's one. Two. This is two. It's not rocket science. You don't even have hanging chats. Right. It's not rocket science. So here we are. All right. So the Senate, uh, that chamber, neck and neck. Republicans taking 47 seats. Democrats taking 46. Now, the Democrats did flip one seat from Republicans. So Republicans need to take two from the Democrats to remain, you know, the leader there on the leaderboard. The House race. Heating up, Republicans taking 199 seats. Democrats have 172. In the race for governor, the GOP got 24 states. Democrats took 21. Democrats have taken two red states, while Republicans have been unable to poach, to flip a blue state red yet. All right, now, 
The shaky start to voting this midterm election was in uh, my former resident state in Arizona, Maricopa County. Uh, that started actually very early on Tuesday. Fox News host Tucker Carlson calling for an end to the use of electronic voting machines. He said, quote, that's part of the core problem. We're not really serious about democracy if we're using electronic voting machines or if we're not requiring photo ID to vote. I don't know where I am in Northern Virginia. They asked for my ID. Yeah. So a part of me almost wanted to protest to fight them and be like, can you show me the statute? Can you show me the law? Do we have a law for voting? I gotta be honest, I don't care if there's a photo ID. I mean, look, I am, if the governments are gonna give out, I think Virginia passed this law at one point of saying, we're gonna give everybody a voter ID. No issue with that. Yeah. No issue that. with that, right? If, if if it's going to be something that's mandated by saying, okay, here's your voter ID, you have this, you can go vote anytime. No your issue with that. Your government issued ID. Yeah, fine with that. But, but they don't none do of the stuff of yeah. like, okay, you can use a gun license, but you can't use a student license. And it's a, just weird. None of that yeah, stuff. patchwork quilt. Yeah. Now, approximately uh, an hour after the voting began in Maricopa County, 223 voting sites started to experience technical issues with the tabulators, according to. Uh, state media outlets, local media outlets there in Arizona, ballots were not being read properly because the formatting marks were not dark enough for the machines to read, thanks to apparently some printer settings, according to election officials there. Uh, and various estimates placed between 10 and 30 percent of the electronic vote tabulation machines in the county were malfunctioning at some point until technicians fixed the printer issue. Then the assets of Tesla and SpaceX founder Elon Musk have fallen below just $200 billion for the first time. He has gotten poor. Elon Musk is a poor man. $200 billion for the first time. Now, his, his, his net worth, $197.4 billion only. How can he live off that? How, what's a man to do? I don't know how he's going to live off Just, that. Just, wow, poor Elon. Now, the U.S. financial experts suggested that the twin factors, which are responsible for the fall in his fortune, the massive dip in Tesla shares, Musk selling off a lot of his stock, obviously, to acquire Twitter. Now, the electric car maker shares dropped to their lowest levels in more than a year this week, according to a filing submitted to the SEC on Tuesday, Mr. Musk, sold $4 billion of Tesla shares in order to finish his Twitter deal. Then to international news, the U.S. is prolonging the conflict in Ukraine in order to profit from sales of military equipment and liquefied natural gas, says Russian ambassador to the U.S., Anatoly Antonov, talking to Sputnik. He said, quote, The White House cannot escape responsibility for prolonging the conflict and killing innocent people. However, the United States continues with its maniacal persistence to adhere to the tactics of war of attrition by exhausting everyone, Ukrainians, Russians, Europeans, as well as ordinary Americans. There are several reasons for this, one of them being the presence of economic interest, the desire to skim the cream through the mass sale of military equipment and LNG supplies. Only business, nothing personal. Now, the ambassador said the United States is waging war with Russia until the last Ukrainian. He also pointed out that the U.S. officials often say they will not talk to Russia about Ukraine without the participation of Ukraine. 
and that it's up to Kiev to decide at what point to sit down at the negotiating table. It's, just stop blaming. Like just stop. stop blaming little little Zelensky over just there. Stop. Tony Blinken, stop blaming. Come on. And then Turkish Foreign Minister Mevlut Kobasolu said he did not see threats or risks of on the gas hub project proposed by Russia. Quote, as for the gas hub project, I don't see any threats or risks here. The purpose of this proposal is European markets. Today, we have reduced our dependence on Russian gas from 60% to just 44% as there are opportunities for diversification. In principle, we have already become a hub. We are already playing the role of a center. Turkey has become an important actor, he said during a Q&A session on the Parliament's Planning and Budget Committee meeting. Then over to Taiwan, they've allocated $1.6 billion from public funds to build a domestic supply chain of drones within a year in case of, you know, a confrontation with Beijing. Yeah, that'll cut it. Uh, British media reporting on Wednesday. <laughs> Just, yes, that's million and a, half, a billion and a half bucks of drones. That, that'll that that'll going, work against the Chinese army. That's going to win that war. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that's going to win cool. that. Cool. Way to spend that money. The initiative is part of efforts of Taiwan's leader Tsai Ing-wen to make armed forces a focus on an increasingly pressing threat from Beijing, which has stepped up its military maneuvers near the island since August, according to the local paper there. So, yeah, like I said, totally going to work. Totally going to work. Just like plugging a dam with bubble gum. Totally going to work. All right, Gavin Williamson, the UK's Minister of State without portfolio. I'm not quite sure what that means, so please do not ask me, folks. Minister of State without portfolio announced his resignation on Tuesday evening after objections were raised to his appointment while he was still the subject of an ethics investigation. So in a letter to the new UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak on Tuesday, Williamson said... He was, quote, stepping back from his office because the investigation into his past conduct was becoming a distraction for the government. He said, quote, I have therefore decided to step back from government so that I can comply fully with the complaints process that is underway and clear my name of any wrongdoing. Then on Wednesday, North Korea fired at least one ballistic missile, according to the South Korean military. Quote, North Korea fires an unspecified ballistic missile towards East Sea, says Seoul's Joint Chiefs of Staff. A missile launched by the North on Wednesday fell just outside of Japan's exclusive economic zone in the Sea of Japan, according to Japanese media. So these reports say the crisis headquarters of the office of Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida are currently collecting and analyzing information about the latest North Korean missile launch. Then this day in history, back in 1980, Iraqi President Saddam Hussein declares holy war against Iran. Back in 1994, Darmstadtium. That's the chemical element 110 discovered at GSI Helmholtz Center for Heavy Ion Research near Darmstadt, Germany. In 1998, brokerage houses are ordered to pay 
1.03 billion U.S. dollars to Nasdaq investors to compensate for price fixing, the largest civil settlement in U.S. history. In 2020, drug makers BioNTech and Pfizer announced their COVID-19 vaccine to be over 90% effective in a first look at the results from their phase three trial involving, they said, 44,000 people. And let me add one. I don't remember the exact year, but I believe today is the anniversary of um, the crumbling of the Berlin Wall, if I'm not mistaken. I got to look that up. Don't quote me. But uh, that'll do it for your headlines this Wednesday, November the 9th. You're listening to Fault Lines. All right. We're going to have an election show today. Most of today's show is going to be about the election. So let's do this. Let's take a break. We're going to come back. My name is Jamal Thomas. Manila Chan with me, Lake Abdul. Fault Lines. Back shortly. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan, Malik Abdul, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And like we said yesterday, it was Judgment Day, but we don't have a judgment yet because for whatever reason, the U.S. elections aren't, um, you know, they don't count the vote tally, no, apparently, we don't know yet. overnight. By the way, today, while I'm wearing this, I'm the Ushanka Mama. Ushanka Mama. Ushanka Mama. Manila Chan, <laughs> wearing the dead animal on her head. That's right. Very stylish. Oh, creepy. Very stylish dead it animal. very stylish. Though. Yeah. And it's very comfortable, I would imagine, especially in those negative 40 degree weathers in Moscow like or something Siberia. like that. Yeah. When I was in Poland, the guy told me one day, I was in a cat, freezing. Freezing. I always say travel oh, makes me a better person because it makes you walk everywhere. It's freezing outside. You're going from point A to point B. You don't have a car. And I'm in the car with him. I'm like, dude, it's cold. He says, you have no idea. He says, under normal circumstances, might like negative 40 here. He says, this is not cold. Mind you, snowed every day, freezing rain or water. Yeah, brutal. Um, I, I don't want to go into a monologue today because we have a bunch of election stuff today. But there's stuff that has popped up in the media that I am enamored by. The EU was very upset, let's say various countries, France and Germany specifically, about the United States Inflation Reduction Act. Now, I was enamored by this because under normal circumstances, you don't necessarily hear Europe complaining about something we're doing here in the United States. And they are very upset about this. They're basically even threatening to go into the World Trade Organization, basically saying it is unfair that the United States is going to use its own money in order to put into green energy products. And because they're going to put that money into green energy products, they're going to hurt European businesses um, because they're not going to be putting the same money into European businesses. Are you insane? This is America. We do what we want with the money of this particular country. And if that's going into green energy companies, then it's going into green energy companies. They don't like that, though. They said that those benefits for American electronic vehicle makers will put EU manufacturers at an unfair disadvantage in the lucrative U.S. domestic market. Well, yeah, America first. That's literally what that means. And look, all things been equal. Don't you guys have more problems? than worrying about us and our Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, if you're talking about Germany, Italy, or France, the amount that you guys are now paying for energy is going to cause or has caused many of those businesses to leave your country, to leave, to say we can't afford the taxes, we can't afford the energy bills, we can't afford to continue operations, so we're going to leave and go to the U.S. It just seems like there are issues here go beyond the Inflation Reduction Act, and the focus on this act seems to be, you know, 
out of bounds with what's going on in their current countries. Should we care that Europe cares about what we are doing here for our policy? I mean, like, I hope you understand what I mean by that. Shouldn't America be able to invest in America? And is Europe going to be able to do anything about it one way or the other? I guess that's the question that I'm asking, especially for an Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, keep in mind, they were trying to spend tr- I mean, billions before. And now this act has been pared down to, what, 300 and some change in regards to billions of dollars as opposed to, what, the $4 trillion that they were trying to spend before with Sanders basically pushing the bill. Will Europe be able to do anything about this? And should they be able to do anything about this? I, I don't care what any other country has any other country opinion about the United States. I'm one of those. Guys. Same here. Yeah. I, Same here. I don't care. I mean, if China wants to spend a huge amount of money to invest in their country, have at it. If Europe wants to do it, have at it. And it seems their biggest concern is, well, we don't have the money to do that, so we're angry that you guys can do it. I mean, if you remember when Germany— Being a hater is different. They're being a hater. Germany was trying to spend, what, $200 billion, give or take, in order to kind of beef up their domestic country because of the amount of—they're paying for energy and food and everything else. I mean, I think France was trying to spend a huge amount of money on it. And those countries in Europe were complaining about each other. How dare you spend $200 billion to beef up your country for the energy and the food costs and everything else? They were angry at Germany because those other countries didn't have the ability to basically spend money in the way that Germany was going to spend money. All right, now you're talking about us. I don't care one iota. We're not even your neighbor. We're not even your neighbor. You're on the other side of the world. I got to be honest. This is the first time that I've read them being concerned about a bill that we've passed in this country over something like this. It's it's very strange. It's very strange. And like, you know what, for me, so I feel the same way about this as I do about the United States feeling as if it needs to be big daddy of the world. And tell other people what to do. Agreed. So I feel to me, you have your own domestic concerns that you're going to spend money on if you need to deal with the same thing here, right? Mind your business. You got enough going on where where you are. Exactly. I never care, and I know it was a big thing. Even you know during the time when I was um, supporting Obama, it was like, oh, he's loved around the world. I don't care if the world loves him or not. Yeah. Like, I never cared. Yeah. I didn't care that the world didn't love Donald Trump. The popularity contest. Yeah. The popularity contest. I don't care one iota what Europe thinks about our policy in regards to what we're spending on our domestic front. You guys have nationalized health care. Okay, maybe we should care about your national health care. We don't have health care here. I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm jealous of that. My Italy story. Yeah. How the Italians saved my life and sent me zero bill. Same thing with my uncle. My uncle got sick in Canada. They patched him up. Send them back home, didn't send them a bill right. or anything. No bill followed me. I am very jealous about your national health care. Maybe you shouldn't have national health care. How about that? Hey, right. Jamal, like, question. let me take that away from you. Yeah. That's, no. Are you insane? Yeah. Do, you, do you think that they would have made that statement if Trump were president? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think Trump would have passed the Inflation I don't Reduction think, yeah, Act. Yeah, we would have right. had that well, I'm bill. just saying, if he did. And, and no, by the way, what about tax cuts? Aren't tax cuts the same? Yeah. I mean, if Donald Trump passed those massive, massive tax cuts, isn't that also putting money into the system and, and, itself? Uh, and I'm being, I'm being um, a little sarcastic here, but I believe that because of Donald Trump's personality, yeah. they would have expected a— anticipated a response. I get the feeling Trump would have lost that. How Trump. dare those vassal then, states? Like, yeah, I know Joe Biden go. is not going to say anything, but I think they would have anticipated if we, what will Donald Trump say? Do you think this is because they're taking such a hit from the standpoint of inflation, their currency is going through the floor, and many of those businesses are packing up and leaving? 
Do you think it's that? Uh, yeah, but we're we're suffering too. We have high inflation too. Not so, like that. Europe I mean, not is as bad a as different them. animal. I mean, their currency is falling through the floor. The pound is less than a dollar. That means that in, I mean, I'm sorry, not the pound. The euro is less than a dollar. Right. The pound is falling in the parity. That means, and they're paying four times as much for natural gas from us. But the thing is, but when thing, when we you followed him. You did this, though. They yeah, fo- you're right. Exactly. <laughs> this is your fault. When we, when Nobody we, told you to follow your we, 39% approval man off of a cliff. When we have a sneeze, what they say, right? When the U.S. has Let's a sneeze, a the, the, get Euro- the, the Europeans get the flu. Like, yeah. they're, they're, they get pneumonia. Right. They're basically on their deathbed. <laughs> right. I, I, so, I agree with you on that. It ain't great hey, over Europe, there in the U.S. Europe either. Europe is very but old. See, but the Europe rub, is very old, guys. But the rub in this case, though. Very old lady. If they get COVID, that's going to be the end of it. It's just the end of it. I mean, but I think the difference with them is they're paying four times as much for gas. They're talking about rolling blackouts. They don't have any way for energy or the very least if they get lip through this year, next year. Wild card. They have no idea. So are they looking at this thinking to themselves, the U.S. is advantaging itself magnificently off of us? And and look, the answer is yes, right? I mean, but nobody told you to do that. Like nobody, meaning look, just because the president of the United States says, hey, in the UK, hey, we have a great idea. We're going to use Ukraine as a tip of the spear, and we're going to have economic war, and we need you guys to put sanctions on energy, oil, gas. And I know that you guys really need this stuff, but we're going to break Russia in two months, so you're not going to have to. Itch. Nobody told you to do that, and I'm pretty sure you have your own advisors that can look into it. No, you didn't have you, to go along with it. I mean, maybe they sort of have to. Maybe why they do, do they sort have, of have to? to? Because there's so much dependency. There's so many. For like, example, what would like, the U.S. do? Okay. If it was Trump, uh-huh. I know he'd probably pull NATO money. He'd be like, okay. Heartbeat. I'm going <laughs> to pull heartbeat. NATO money. In a heartbeat. Biden, though, you know, here you have, name any any EU leader, right? Yeah. And you all look, are looking at Joe Biden. Right. It's not President Trump. It's Joe Biden. Right. What do you think that old man is going to do? But look at what, what he did to Schultz. Schultz is standing there, and Biden is like, we're going to shut the pipeline down. And Schultz is just standing there. And their reporters are looking at Schultz like, this is your pipeline. It's in your country. Are you going to say anything? (laughs) But the president's saying he's going to shut your pipeline down. And Schultz said something that doesn't repudiate Biden by the same token, doesn't stand up for Germany either. It is a Pavlovian response. It is a very, very much like conditioned helplessness, like learned helplessness by the Europeans to depend on the U.S. for their security, for exports, for imports. So it's learned helplessness by the Europeans. And that was the whole point of the whole Brexit movement. Mm And, and I remember for years, George Galloway and I talked about this, right, yeah. is that, that he preferred that the U.K. break such close ties with, with the, the rest of the EU because the U.K. was no longer independent or sovereign because it became part of this big blob. Yeah, this conglomeration, yeah. This blob But see, they the never EU. took on the euro, so they maintained the pound, so they never got they that close. some sovereignty, yeah, right, and the U.S. And to be honest, the U.S. wanted the U.K. to be a part of the European Union. Of course. I mean, because they thought it was... The UK is closer to us. This allows us to have a hand in European policy. But then Emmanuel Macron, not that long ago, like a year, maybe two years ago, right before COVID, so yeah. two and a half years ago, he proposed the idea of a, a European army. Yes. Right? Apart from NATO. Uh-huh. And back then, Trump was like, oh, no, 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 my little friend. Well, no, all no, of the no. US is like, no. <laughs> no. Right. Your, so, your foreign policy is going to be in line with us. Cut that nonsense out. So that's what the US can, well, under... 
under a theoretical Trump, that's what the U.S. could do. Yeah. But there are still other means because there, there's a lot of mo- U.S. money tied up over there. Right. So that's what the U.S. can do is pull the purse strings, tighten it up a little bit, and you know what I think this is. I think this is Second World War stuff. I still think it's that. I think it's the U.S. "quote unquote" basically. Let's say they didn't win the war, but all things been equal from European standpoint, it's like Europe fell apart. I mean, like I mean, well, they did after the Second World War. The United States was the last man standing, right? Our factories weren't bombed. We weren't attacked. Our country wasn't decimated in the way that Europe was. And I get the feeling that Europe got very. I guess used to that. I mean, they lumped their lot in with the U.S. for better or for worse. I guess now, though, they're complaining. And it's like, why are you complaining now? Like, meaning none of you sat down and think to yourselves, what effect is this going to have on us in the long term or in the short term? None, none of you did that. All of you just ran along with this particular narrative. They fall in line. Yes, they that's, fell in line. That's the whole point. And now they're complaining. And it's like they were complaining about, oh, you guys are charging us four times as much for gas. We're supposed to be in this together. And it doesn't seem like we're in this together. The impacts are not the same. They're not the same. You but none of them saw the ditch in the middle of the road. Yes. And instead of trying to go in the other direction... You just went in the ditch. And now they're complaining. Behind Joe Biden. Now they're complaining. That's your fault. I've like, never, it's I, literally your fault. I've never heard them complain about the economic stuff before. Right. Like, I'm shocked Like shocked by this a little bit because they're like, it we're going to go to the World Trade Organization in order to force okay. America. Here's the thing. Just like the friend that always complains about their weight and eats <laughs> 10 hamburgers. <laughs> right. What are y'all going right. to do about it? Well, that's the catch. That's the question. What are they going to do about it? And are they going to do anything about it? And look, like I told you, I don't care what Europe thinks. Vassal states don't get a huge amount of thought for me in regards to their capability to do anything. And if they're willing to basically throw themselves off of a cliff like this, my thought is they are not going to be able to do anything one way or the other. (laughs) But we'll see. They may go to the WTO. Countries have taken us to the WTO before, and we've changed regulations on this stuff. But we'll see. We own the WTO. You know that. We've had to change regulations around um, the stuff that have come up. But we'll see. I, I just thought this was fascinating to me. It's like, this is like the second or third article I've seen these guys complain about the financial stuff. We'll see. I, I'm, I, like I said, do something about it. That's what I'd be concerned. Do something about it. But we'll see. But look, you guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan. We're going to come back with Elijah Mangay. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan and Malik Abdul coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM and 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what we're putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. And I want to bring in our guests. We have the one and only Elijah Mangay. He's a veteran war correspondent with 35 years of experience in Iran, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Libya, Sudan, Afghanistan, and Yugoslavia. Elijah, welcome to the show. How are you doing this morning? Hello, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So there are a few things that I want to have a conversation with you about, and I want to start off with this one. Basically, Europe is apparently bothered 
by the United States Inflation Reduction Act. And their argument is right here. Brussels says that those benefits to American electronic vehicle makers will put the EU manufacturers at an unfair disadvantage in the lucrative U.S. domestic market. It demands that the U.S. give EU companies the same treatment. And my thought is, why would the United States give EU companies the same treatment considering those countries or those companies are in the United States? Meaning, why on earth would not the United States defer or to try to make their energy market better in a world competitive market? And for, for my standpoint, it is very rare that I hear Europe complain about stuff that's taking place in the United States in regards to plans that we're putting forward. Is this related in some way to the effects on Europe in regards to the amount of money they're paying for energy, the amount of money they're now paying for food as a direct result of following the U.S. off this cliff? And all things but equal, many of those companies leaving because they can't necessarily afford the energy bills, or for that matter, they want to pay lower taxes, meaning... Is this complaint that's coming out for the Inflation Reduction Act directly related to the consequences that the war in Ukraine has basically had on Europe and their belief that the United States is taking advantage of them? What are your thoughts? President Biden is trying to make things less hard on the European uh, nations that have decided to walk behind him against their own interests. Because of that, he is trying to support the EU in some areas, on another hand, as you rightly said, he is asking four times the price of gas from the EU. So it's take on one hand and take back on the other hand. Secondly, the, the discontent in the EU is rising every day, more than the day before, the, more than previous days, because the cost of life is increasing. So when you hear inflation has is hitting eight or nine percent, these figures are not really correct because they include everything in the market. But if we talk about the food price, we know that in at least between France, Italy and uh, Belgium, this is where I monitor, and Holland, the price has gone up uh, around 200 percent. So we are facing a serious crisis in Europe because the EU is following the U.S. policy and doesn't want to be cut off from the Western community that has in, uh, invented something that called international order, which is a Western order, and then international laws, that is a Western law. So all that is, uh, is going to affect seriously the uh, uh, European once, uh, when uh, they will realize that they are losing this kind of war and they're not going to come up um, with a victory that they can sell to their population. Because as you saw in the election in the United States, people look at inflation. They don't look at foreign policy. Right. So because of that, they look at abortion. They look at other domestic matters. And here people are, because they are in the continent, because you know, Russia is part of the continent, because Ukraine is part of the geographic continent, because we've been dealing with Russia all the time, all these decades, and suddenly we are not supposed to deal with Russia and pay the consequences. And not only that, go and donate to Ukraine, as Ursula von der Leyen said a few days ago, 18 billion euros this year. So why on earth you want this war to continue for us to continue paying and then we are suffering inflation. And then we look at the U.S. The U.S. is doing extremely well internally. 
from the financial point of view, is selling at the gas four times more, but you're not doing anything about it. So all these attempts, like when the Americans go to Lebanon and Israel and they say, you have to sign the maritime deal because that will help Europe to get its gas. Well, wait a minute, we're not that full. Lebanon needs four years to start extracting the gas. You will be gone by that time. So it, uh, these are the um, dust that is thrown in our eyes all the time, well, mainly in the eyes of those who don't really understand foreign policy or they just stand by the narrative that the West is offering. I'm curious on something, and get into this for me. Right, Xi Jinping is apparently going to make a trip to Riyadh later this year. Um, for Saudi Arabia, basically. And there's already been talk about the amount of money that China has been dumping into Saudi Arabia. I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, up to the point where they were talking about a petrol yuan. Um, Considering the break in the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia, I mean, Joe Biden, people here are threatening, oh, we should punish Saudi Arabia for doing something that was in Saudi Arabia's best interest. Um, That talk is not necessarily coming out the administration per se. They seem to be taking somewhat of a low key on this, not necessarily wanting to rupture this relationship even worse. But the conversations are taking place, OPEC plus Saudi Arabia trying to become part of BRICS, or for that matter, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, is, I mean, this has to be somewhat of a threat to the petrodollar, correct? I mean, up to this point, all money or, or gas, uh, oil, is appropriated in dollars. And, of course, this would require all of the nations basically around the globe in order to have dollars, which makes the dollar somewhat of a reserve currency, somewhat of a natural thing. But if there's this break in the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia, and if you have OPEC plus or BRICS nation, meaning Russia and China, getting that much closer to Saudi Arabia and they're trying to come up with a basket of currencies, doesn't this threaten the idea of a dollar hegemony at this point, meaning the petrodollar is under threat by these other, let's say, the second economic order? especially considering Saudi Arabia is working very closely with the second economic order and the association with the U.S. seems to be fractured. Give me your take on that. And what will be the consequences of that? Well, let, there are many points that you've raised and they are very important. So just to start with the end, it is a challenge to the U.S. dollar that is still prevailing, but it's a serious challenge to the U.S. dollar. And I'm going to come back to that. But as you said correctly, The relationship between Saudi Arabia and China is evolving very rapidly. So we're talking about 390 to 400 million as a trade exchange between Saudi Arabia and China annually in 1995 to 87 billion in 2021. So the difference is really huge. If we look at only 2022, there were 33 billion. So if we move from 33 to 87, it is more or less three times the size of trade. And that is because countries like Saudi Arabia are looking to diversify their resources, their relationship, and also playing politics against the United States. Because if we wanted or not, this Russian-US uh, war on Ukraine It's a serious challenge to the U.S. hegemony, but it's already a fact that is happening on the ground. Nobody can deny that. Nobody can say that the U.S., even if it is Ukraine that is fighting and the U.S. is behind it, the damage is really hitting the American administration on the head. Secondly, another point that is important to mention 
to all the listeners is according to Saudi and European officials that I met in the last days, they told me Joe Biden did not ask us not to um, suspend or to to stop two million barrels extraction, but he asked us to postpone it for a month. So he wanted the midterm elections to go by first. And then he understand that OPEC plus is going to reduce the production by two million because China is reducing the uh, import because there, there is a need to protect the price of oil that is now going between 94 to 97. This is where it's playing because of the two million barrels uh, of oil that has been reduced from the 23 OPEC plus nations. So the Americans wanted, first of all, the interest of the Democrat, not the interest of the country in the first place. And well, they wanted to give some credit to uh, Joe Biden because he wanted to show that inf- he's fighting inflation and that will give him more credit and more seat in the Congress, which is, at the end of the day, it did give him uh, more than expected, but he uh, he's losing anyway. So uh, th- that's one. Two, the uh, uh, challenge of the U.S. hegemony uh, come within it the challenge of the dollar. Because Donald Trump, during his uh, ruling, he challenged many European and non-European countries that he's going to prevent them from using the SWIFT, that is a financial monetary system used between banks to exchange money. And that is dominant around the world. Everybody is looking for an alternative because they want to continue trading. And if we look at the countries that form the BRICS or the Shanghai organization, they form 50% of the world population and two-thirds of the world geography. So all these people will be cut off from trading the day the Americans decide that they're going to exclude them from the SWIFT. It doesn't go. They need to continue uh, doing business with each other, selling oil, gas, uh, trade, etc., and they, they cannot depend on the mood or on the decision of the United States of America. Now, all that is uh, the, uh, we take us to the decision of two main allies of the United States that have been a really pioneer in standing with the U.S. in all its policy, good or bad. And if we talk about the United States and the Emirates, they took decision against the will of Joe Biden, or at least against what Joe Biden wanted. And because that, because they look after their interests, but above all, because the Americans did not fulfill their end of the bargain, where they look after the security of Saudi Arabia. And they pulled out the Patriot from Saudi Arabia, uh, allowing the uh, Yemeni and Iran to uh, cause a threat to the Saudis in the Saudis' uh, mentality. We're not talking about that is true, because even if Yemen is bombing Saudi Arabia, that is one drop in the ocean of the Saudis' bombardment of Yemen in the last years and the destruction of uh, the poorest country in the Middle East. So because of that, because the Americans are pushing Qatar uh, as the favorite country in the Middle East, taking away or diminishing the Saudi influence that used to be, uh, 
uh, be or consider itself the leader of the Middle Eastern countries and the Gulf countries uh, in West Asia, that also affected seriously the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Joe Biden, but not with America, because there were excellent relationships between Saudi Arabia and Donald Trump and all the previous president who ruled uh, the United States. So if we gather all these elements, we understand that, first of all, the power of the uh, Americans is fading. It doesn't mean that they are weaker, but they uh, are less influential than before. It means that Russia and China and other countries are challenging its hegemony. Uh, It means that the decision today, the narrative uh, that the U.S. and mainstream media is trying uh, to uh, brainwash the uh, uh, population that is not very uh, keen to follow the news on daily basis is no longer effective because there is the internet. People can uh, educate themselves about what's happening, look for alternative news, news, etc. So yes, there is a serious challenge to the U.S. today, by all means. Well, Elijah, I would like to hear your perspective, the European perspective, um, on on the the elections. That yes, they were yesterday technically, but they're still ongoing. The votes are still being tabulated. We we won't know a, a solid, definite answer probably until this weekend, I would assume. However, what are Europeans saying about the potential um, takeover, if you'll call it that, by the Republicans, if in case there might be some waning support for Ukraine? Because we know this is of interest to the Ukrainians because the first lady of Ukraine, Mrs. Uh, Zelenskaya, she was, you know, giving this speech where she said, you know, I, I believe there will be continued global support for my country. You know, things like that, right? She she was trying to stay sort of apolitical, but trying to gin up support at the same time. But she's, you know, for her to reference support and deny waning interest in supporting her country in the war effort implies that there is waning support for the war effort. And then you have her husband, who just a few days ago is now asking for the war to be expanded to Iran to punish them for what he says, supplying the Russians with drones. I mean, that would be like, you know, blaming, well, I guess technically you can blame, but <laughs> blaming the U.S. for supplying the world with weapons. But that's, you know, that's really the case. But, you know, her husband is over here saying, let's expand the war and, and go bomb Iran for selling hardware to the Russians. I mean, how do you how do you square all of this with the elections yesterday? Well, let me start with the comments on Iran. It comes from the one who promoted uh, Zelensky to all the to uh, dozens of parliaments around the world, even in Korea, who know nothing about what's happening and where is Ukraine on the map. Uh, Zelensky has been talking to many countries and many leaders around the globe. At the end of the day, I saw how he received in the last two days the the, uh, price of, um, uh, just the the name uh, uh, escaped me now, when you are the best actor and then you receive uh, a golden prize. So he is really, uh, yeah, sorry, yes, the Oscar. So he really deserves it because he is a real actor. He's not a president. So he's he really a, is he's an actor. 
Yeah. And so he he is so much emerged and unified with his acting role that he believes it at the end of the day, which is good for an actor, but not good for a president. So as a president, you need to understand where are your limits. You're going, you're asking to impose sanctions on Iran, but there are no more sanctions left to be imposed on Iran. You just go back to the history since 1979, President Jimmy Carter, until to the, the uh, President Joe Biden, they're really looking very hard to find one sanctions to impose in Iran they didn't impose before. That's one. Two, the, 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 you ask a valid question about Europe. Europe, and I quote here European officials in Brussels, of, would be extremely happy when they see the Congress led by the uh, Republican questioning Biden, but not only on Afghanistan, uh, they expect, but also on Ukraine, because that will help the European leaders to look at Biden as much weaker than in the first two years. And in the first two years, Biden was strong. He could impose anything on the EU. And now in the last two years, by knowing that Biden is no longer going to be re-elected, uh, I don't know if he's going to be in uh, full health in, in the next two years or uh, capable to understand what's happening. But um, I think that will help the Europeans to stand against the U.S. more and say, look, this is not uh, really in our favor. We pay money to the Ukrainian, but... Uh, here we need to do something about it. So when we hear the German who are really uh, holding the flag in front of all the Europeans suddenly uh, with the US saying that, well, if the winter is going to be very harsh, we won't have any more gas, it means they are preparing the ground for something else. The French go to talk, the French president Emmanuel Macron goes and speak to uh, Nicolas Maduro and flirt with him is because he needs it. At the end of the day, this is very important. Things are shifting in Europe, and the election at the Congress will help Europe to detach themselves a little bit more from the Americas. No, not a lot, but something. I saw those pictures, by the way. Um, Venezuela, um, Maduro, and John Curry, if I'm not mistaken. Was it, did I see that correctly? I mean, and yeah, Macron shaking hands with Maduro. Like you say, they need the gas. They need the oil. In which case, Juan Guaido takes a back seat. Right, which is suddenly they're not acknowledging Juan Guaido yeah, he's, anymore. He's out of, out of the running and more. Nobody talks about him. He's sitting on the sidelines and all that of a sudden a Maduro. That's a John Bolton idea anyway. He's a John yeah. Bolton creature. Yeah. yeah. Elijah, I just had a question for you. Sticking with France, uh, the French government... Uh, Actually, well, today here, but Wednesday, they announced a bill that would apparently create a specific residence permit status to enable illegal immigrants to work in understaffed industries. So this is supposed to address both the immigration problem and the labor shortage problem. Um, they're also thinking that it's, you know, possibly address the issue of exploiting undocumented immigrants I'm pretty sure I'm getting it wrong that the they're they're referring to the the what is it the métier en tension uh, the skills on demand I think that's what they're calling it but what do you think about that trek that France has taken to address it do you think that it's something substantive that they're doing around this well it's because there is a serious shortage of workers in France 
in the UK, in Italy, everywhere in Europe. People don't want to work because, first of all, when they are on the road, they are paid by the government, even if they're not working. Secondly, because they, there's nothing is enough for the workers today because the employer needs to pay exactly the same or a bit more for the government to compensate the taxes of the worker. So for that, we see that the government is closing an eye on people working in the black market without being registered. They're asking for more workers uh, from uh, immigrant, uh, people who are traveling from Africa, from the Middle East, from Ukraine, from where, all over the places. But that is not new. What is new is because in France, you can't kick out an immigrant because he has the right to live and the border should, in theory, not exist. People should be able to travel. And that is my personal opinion. However, when people arrive to a country like France or Italy, they not, the authorities are not allowed to ask, to depart, to, uh, the, ask them to leave or to put them on the first plane. Um, this has been going on for decades where the local population don't do all the jobs that an immigrant can start doing at the beginning to earn his life and then to move on within the society. Now they have, uh, they are facing the reality and they're saying, well, the sans-papier, that is without document, that came illegally because what they do is they cross from Italy to uh, France and then they are in France. Uh, it's good to legalize their presence because at least we know where they are. We make them, we force uh, the taxes on them so we collect more money if we give them a resident permit. And if uh, something happened, we know where to find them. So uh, at the end of the day, these people are working. They are integrated in the society in, in one way or another. But we don't need to change their culture. We don't need to change their belief or their habits or whatever. But they are in the society. They are contributing to the health of the society. Well, they can also contribute in paying taxes like everybody else and start and for the government to start looking at them as the rest of the human being all equal. Elijah, let me ask you this. There was a bombing that took place yesterday in Syria. Apparently it was on the Syria-Iraq border. Um, can you give me details on that? Apparently, what, maybe up to 30 people were injured or killed. Um, this was basically bombing oil tankers that were supposedly... I mean, according to this report, taking oil on its way uh, to Lebanon. Um, give me your take on that. What's What took place with that? Apparently, this was a bombing uh, that suspected either Israel or the United States. Um, based on what I'm reading, I assume that it is the U.S. that basically did this bombing. What What took place here? Give us the details on the story. Yes, that's. Uh, I'm really glad you raised it. So, first of all, uh, the Americans have an agreement with the Iraqi government that they're not allowed to go in the air without the approval of the government in Baghdad, and in particular, the prime minister. I spoke to the prime minister office asking him today if uh, there, there was a previous warning, because normally the Americans give a warning that they are going to hit to the prime minister, but we're talking about five to ten minutes ahead. Well, this time there was no warning that this is what they are going to do. So they violated the agreement with the Iraqis. Secondly, they uh, if uh, on Monday there was what we were told it's a English teacher, uh, Stephen Troll, 
an American that was killed in Al-Qarada in Baghdad. Now, we understand that this perhaps is a response from the Americans that responded 590 kilometers away, bombing and killing innocent drivers and innocent people who were on the border between Iraq and Syria with tankers of oil crossing from Iraq to Syria going to Lebanon, because there is a deal between the Lebanese government and the Iraqis that Iraq will provide Lebanon with oil and with oil and fuel. And third point is, uh, by doing so, the Americans are really triggering the retaliation against their forces and the regain of these attacks that have been uh, calm a little bit for the last month. I mean, we're talking about several months uh, of uh, no attack against U.S. forces in Iraq or in Syria, where they occupy the northeast Syria. So all these, it's really looking for trouble instead of waiting for the investigation. Uh, they talking with the, the Americans are talking with the prime minister to see uh, who are responsible for the killing of uh, Stephen Troy. And uh, you can't go and kill other people because you believe that some group killed him in Baghdad, and then you go, you go and bomb with helicopter and drones 15 trucks full of oil on the Iraqi-Syrian borders. Yeah, and if you remember, Biden did something similar to that when it was the attack, basically when all of the American troops pulled out of Afghanistan, there was an attack. At a bomb, um, Biden goes in, kills a bunch of women and kids under this model of where we're getting back and we're uh, paying this group whatever particular group, they didn't even know, necessarily know who did it, um, but apparently paid back women and children um, in response. Elijah, thank you, my man. I really appreciate this. The voice you guys were listening to is Elijah McGay. He's a veteran war correspondent with 35 years of experience in Iran, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Libya, Sudan, Afghanistan, Yugoslavia. You can follow his reporting on Twitter at E-J-M-A-L-R-A-I. Follow his reporting on his website, elijah.jm.wordpress.com. You guys are listening to Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan. We're joined with Malik Abdul. Back in a moment. Fault lines. Fault lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. We're also joined with our election expert, Malik Abdul, doing his Trump dance <laughs> over in the corner. Um, the one where he was doing yeah, the Drake? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah the, the Trump dance. Um, but yeah. We are going to have election coverage all day today. And so let's do this. Let's jump into some headlines. And then we're going to get into our coverage. We're going to have the one and only Ted Rawl again. Another one of my favorite people. That's the beauty of the show, right? You get to meet some really good people who know their stuff. Rawl is one of those people. Rawl has been with us for years. And I've always enjoyed talking to him. Um, But let's get into the headlines in the news. 
Midterm election update. The Senate is nearly neck and neck with Republicans taking 49 seats and Democrats with 48. You only need one to flip for Republicans to take it by one vote. Um, Democrats stole one seat from Republicans. Republicans need to take two from Democrats in order to take the Senate. The House representatives race is heating up with Republicans taking 199 seats while Democrats have taken 172. And the governor's race, the GOP is 124 states while Democrats have taken 21. Democrats have taken two red states while Republicans have been unable to poach anything from Democrats yet. And as you know, this is not coming out to be a red wave. We're not quite sure what this is yet, but red wave. Red sprinkle? Yeah, maybe a red sprinkle. I, I like that. A light mist. Um, but definitely Republicans have underperformed. Democrats have overperformed. We'll see what this turns out to be. We haven't necessarily gotten the results from all the races yet, which greatest democracy ever, for whatever reason, can't count votes. Let's keep going. We don't focus on math or STEM, remember? Yeah, right, right, right. We, we do with the woke stuff. We got w- yeah. woke math. Uh, mathematics yeah. <laughs> is racist. Do you remember when they said that math is racist? Math is racist, Jamar. Do you remember that? And it's like, get out of here. Get out of here. Just stop. I think that was some West Coast thing. Some place in Oregon. Right here. I wouldn't be West. shocked. Yeah, I wouldn't be yeah, shocked. They took away, like, math testing or something. Yeah, like, they did. Crazy. Which is crazy. insane. Look, I was in advanced classes in math, English, and Spanish. My race had nothing to do with it. I'm sorry, it's not. And look, all things being equal, if you're really that concerned about it, make sure those communities up to date. There was an argument. And I remember they have access to those classes. Exactly. That's double that's double the down on it. Exactly. Is the answer, not removing. Not removing it. Yeah. James Baldwin. Schools don't have access to AP. Yeah. You know, courses. And by the way, I don't know if that's maybe if you have a situation where you have um, a school or let's say falling down in a neighborhood, maybe you need to update the neighborhood. Like James Baldwin made this point about saying, you know, it's not like you um, put in like charters. You update the neighborhood. Like, meaning, if you have a neighborhood where it's crumbling, kids are dodging bullets in order to get from point A to point B in order to get to school, that kid doesn't have enough food to eat in the morning, maybe he's not going to do that great math. You know, like, it's more than just the school itself. environmental things. Yeah. You could have the greatest teachers on the planet if that school is in the middle of a war zone. Well, I hate to tell you, the kids are not going to do we're great. we're taking away free lunch for yes. these kids, too, yes. how do you expect them to learn math in order to grow up to count the ballots? Yes, yes, there's that, there's that, there's that. Make sure kids can eat. That way you can count ballots later on in life. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Let's keep going. The shaky start to the voting in midterm elections in Arizona, Maricopa County on Tuesday prompted Fox News host Tucker Carlson to call for an end to the use of electronic voting machines. Carlson insisted that, quote, the core problem, unquote, is, quote, we're not really serious about democracy if we're using electronic voting machines or if we're not requiring photo ID to vote, unquote. Approximately an hour after the voting began, some Maricopa County's 223 voting sites started to experience technical issues with the tab- tabulators, according to the state's media outlets. Ballots were not being read properly because the formatting marks were not dark enough for the tabulators to read, thanks to the printer settings officials were cited as saying. According to various estimates, between 10 and 30 percent of the electronic voting tabulation machines in the country were malfunctioning at some point up until the technicians fixed the issue. Look, I don't think the issue is voting machines. I mean, we have Amazon to have the ability to get a product from you know, Washington to Timbuktu I can within track the course of three it. days. Yeah, and I you can, can track, track it, it on a map. the entire way. Like, there it is. It. But for whatever reason, we can't. I can build a program to write voting machines that I haven't done software in years. It's not the issue, it's not the voting machines. Trust, yes. Honesty, yes. Competence, yes. Don't tell me the voting machines. No one, no one asked, but Amazon no longer does the one, two day shipping. 
Okay, but go ahead. What? Really? Really? No, that, really? They don't do that anymore. They don't promise that? Like yeah, Domino's Pizza, 30 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> like even Domino's can do it. I can track my order of Domino's. I can, I can I track can. Uber. I can. I can track my Domino's order. Yes. That's true. Don't tell me that the electronic voting machines are the issue. Like the Domino's apps builder guys. Yeah, they can do it. To... They can do it. I can track my pizza. So it's like, don't tell me that it's the voting machine stuff. You Look, this country has built all sorts of phenomenal electronic devices. Yeah. All sorts. Weird, and they keep uh, telling me, capitalism built my country. phone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't tell me that we can't build something that can Tabulate track voting. and track. Yes. And But you know what? These are like made in America machines. Yes. That does not bode well for the hashtag <laughs> made in America. Right. Right. It's like, don't, yeah, man. It, this should not be an issue. That's all I'm saying. This should not be an issue. Let's keep going. The assets of Tesla and SpaceX founder Elon Musk have fallen below $200 billion for the first time since September of last year. As of Wednesday, he was only worth $197 billion. U.S. financial experts suggest that the twin factors which are responsible for the fall of his fortune are a massive dip in Tesla shares and much shelling, selling his stock to fund his recent acquisition of Twitter. The electronic car makers shares dropped to their lowest level in more than a year this week. According to the uh, filing submitted by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC on Tuesday, Musk also sold four billion of his Tesla shares after his Twitter takeover last month. He's basically a poor man. He's basically a poor man. Poor Elon. Yeah, how is he going to make it with under $200 billion? I, I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't how know do how he's survive? going to survive. Like, yeah. How do you... Hey, I mean, maintaining yachts is He's going to have to expensive. give up one of his cars or something. Who knows? Um, but the United States is prolonging the conflict in Ukraine in order to profit from the sales of military equipment and liquefied natural gas. LNG experts, Russian ambassador to the U.S., Antony Antonov, told Sputnik, quote, The White House cannot escape the responsibility for, for prolonging this conflict and killing innocent people. However, the United States continues its maniacal. Yeah, maniacal persistence to adherence to tactics of war of attrition by exhausting everyone, Ukrainians, Russians, Europeans, as well as ordinary Americans, Antilov said. Um, he said, quote, there are several reasons for this. One of them being the presence of economic interests, the desire to skim the cream through the mass scale of military equipment and LNG supplies, only business, nothing personal, unquote. The ambassador said the United States is waging a war with Russia, quote, until the last Ukrainian, unquote. He also pointed out that U.S. officials often say they would not talk to Russia about Ukraine without the participation of Ukraine, and that is up to Kiev to decide at what point to sit down at the negotiating table. Nonsense! Nonsense! Look, when Kiev was trying to come up with these negotiating talks, talking with Erdogan, basically being the mediator between us. What happened? Bush Johnson jumps in just before he failed miserably in his own prime ministership, saying, cut it out. You're not going to get security guarantees from us if you're willing to end this conflict. Let me just add a Thanksgiving theme because the whole world has jumped to Christmas. Yes. This is like the grown-ups table and Zelensky is at the kids' table. Yes. Yes, he's at Thanksgiving dinner. Yes. Of course he is. Yes. But is he really sitting at the grown-ups table? No, he's not. With Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov? No. Or Erdogan? No. No! No, he's not. He's an actor at the kids' table. He'll get called over when they come to some decision on what they want to do. They'll be like, hey, okay, come on in. This is what we're going to do now. Here's your serving of turkey. It's going to be that. Eat your green beans. Let's stop pretending that Zelensky is the one that is calling the shots on this war Eat in your Ukraine. green beans. He's not. He's not. He's not. A thousand times, he is not. Turkish Foreign Minister Melvut uh, Kavuzglu. Kavuzglu. Kavuzglu, thank you, Manila, said he did not see threats or risk on the gas hub project proposed by Russia. Quote, as the gas hub project, I don't see any threats or risk here. 
The purpose of this proposal is European markets. Today, we have reduced our dependence on Russian gas from 60% to 44%, as there were opportunities for diversification. Kosoglu said, quote, in principle, we have already become a hub. We're already playing the role of a center. Turkey has become an important actor, unquote. He said during a question and answer session of the parliament's planning and budget committee meeting. Well, yeah, at this point, Turkey is going to be a mover and shaker in all of this, especially if they're going to get the gas up. Taiwan has allocated $1.6 billion from public funds to build a domestic supply chain for drones within a year in case of confrontation with Beijing, British media reported on Wednesday, citing senior Taiwanese officials. The initial initiative is in part of efforts for Taiwan leader um, Tsai Ing-wen to make armed forces focus on, quote, increasingly pressing threat from Beijing, unquote, which has stepped up his military maneuvers near the island since August, according to the newspapers. Again, this is one of those things that never needed to take place. These muscular responses provoke other muscular responses from various people. Negotiation is a thing. It is a thing. It's not a magical thing. It is a real thing that could take place. And whatever you want to think of Donald Trump, I still point out that Trump in North Korea is a proof of concept that that actually does work to avert wars, or for that matter, to bring down tensions in regards to these escalatory acts. Gavin Williamson, the UK's Minister of State without without portfolio, announced his resignation on Tuesday evening after objections were raised to his appointment while he was still subject of an ethics investigation. In a letter to the UK Prime Minister Rishi, Rishi Sunak on Tuesday, Williamson said that he is stepping back, quote unquote, from his office because an investigation into his past conduct was, quote, becoming a distraction, unquote, for the government. Quote, I have therefore decided to step back from government so that I can comply fully with the complaint process that is underway and clear my name of any wrongdoing, unquote, he stated. Let's keep going. On Wednesday, North Korea fired at least one ballistic missile, according to the South Korean military. Quote, North Korea fires an unspecified ballistic missile towards EC, unquote, Seoul's Joint Chief of Staff said a missile launched by North Korea on Wednesday fell outside of Japan's exclusive economic zone in the Sea of Japan, Japanese media reported. According to the media reports, the crisis headquarters at the office of Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida is currently collecting and analyzing information about the latest North Korean missile launch. Are you now? Good luck with that. In 1980, Iraqi President Saddam Hussein declares a holy war against Iran because Saddam Hussein is clearly a holy man. In 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Thank you for adding that. That was, yeah. Shout out to Manila for nailing that one. Yeah, (laughs) nailing that one. In 1994, Darm Stadium, chemical element 110, discovered GSI Helmut Center for heavy ion research near, I think this is Darmstadt, Germany. In 1998, brokerage houses were ordered to pay $1.3 billion United States dollars to Nasdaq investors to compensate for price fixing, largest settlement in the U.S. history. In 2020, drug maker BioNTech and Pfizer announced their COVID-19 vaccine to be over 90% effective and first look at the results in their phase three trial involving nearly 44,000 people. Those are your headlines. You guys are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chase. Yeah, so a few of these things are interesting. Um, I Look, Taiwan and their drones are not going to stop yeah. China if there's an attack from China. And let's be clear. You're bringing a butter knife to a gunfight. Yeah, exactly. Butter knife to a gunfight in a phone booth, no less. All things being equal, this never had to take place. The issue with Taiwan wasn't really an issue. I mean, yeah, what is the 50 years or something like that, in which case they're supposed to organize, get closer 
But none of this became an issue until the U.S. started pressing on this button of Taiwan every bit as much as they were pressing on this button of Eve Afghanistan um, from the standpoint of the Russian invasion at that point. Or for that matter, the issue of Ukraine. All of these things are the same. It seems like proxy war has become this kind of normalized way of engaging in, let's say, struggles between nations where smaller nations or smaller countries, in this case, part of China, is basically being used as a tip of a spear in order to drag these countries into larger conflicts. It's unfortunate. It didn't need to take place. And again, I want to point back to a few years ago where this was not even on the agenda of an issue. And all of a sudden, this became more of an issue the more that we pressed on this idea of trying to pull Taiwan away. None of this stuff needed to take place. And yet, here we are. Look, you guys are listening to Thought Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan, Malik Abdul. We're coming back with the one and only Ted Raw. We're going to talk elections. Even though the elections haven't necessarily finished yet, we're still going to get into what they mean up to this point. Thought Lines, back in a moment. Thought Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan and Malik Abdul coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what we're putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share the audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202 521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is. Don't be shy. We'll definitely try to get to you at either 945 or 845. But I want to bring in our guests. We're waiting on the election results up to this point. The latest that we have so far, the Senate is still near, nearly neck and neck. Republicans taking 49 seats and Democrats taking 48 seats. Democrats was able to steal one seat from Republicans. Republicans will need to take two in order to wrestle control away from Democrats. Of course, it was only one seat up for grabs. The House of Representatives is heating up with Republicans taking 199 seats and Democrats taking 172. In the race for governor, the GOP has won 24 states while Democrats have taken 21. Democrats have taken two red states while Republicans have unable to take anything. This red wave is looking like a red trickle in the way that Manila said. And I got to say, she's probably, she seems to be right. Oh, sprinkle. Okay. I'll say trickle. She'll say sprinkle. I think we're talking about the same thing. Miss. Miss. A fine miss. <laughs> but we're joined with Ted Rawl. Ted Rawl is a political cartoonist and political analyst. Ted, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing this morning? I'm really good. Thanks so much for having me today. I am glad that you are here. Now, this did not turn out to a red wave in the way that they were thinking about it was going to be. Why not? What happened? Meaning, from your standpoint, as you're looking at this, you're a master and knowing political history and everything else and looking at this, usually when you have a midterm, especially with a weak president like Joe Biden, Democrats or the Republicans usually take a hit. Same thing was true for George Bush. Same thing was true for Obama. Why is this one seemingly a bit different? Give me your take on this. Well, it, you know, I've been I've been doing a dive. I was taken by surprise. I mean, I think uh, I, I stand by my predictions on the results, but not the but I lost on the spread. Right? <laughs> um, I thought uh, in a big way. I, I still think the Senate. You know, the, the Senate's all going to come down to right Nevada and Georgia. It looks like so. Uh, but the House is, I think, certainly GOP. Yes. Uh, I, I would say by plus five, plus six, plus seven, something like that. Um, and anyway, so. 
I think what happened is kind of twofold. I mean, centrist uh, media, you know, is going to say that this is flawed Trump-backed candidates. And that certainly played a role, I think, with like Oz. Uh, you know, Oz losing to Fetterman in, Pen- in Pennsylvania is kind of political malpractice when you really? lose to, you know, I mean, Fetterman was, I mean, I know it's a democratic state uh-huh. in some ways, but but it's like, uh, you, you know, bad. I mean, and, and Oz, Oz was, but Oz was a carpetbagger and I think he was wrong for the state. But I mean, but Fe- I mean, Fetterman's debate performance must have been one of the worst debate performances in you know modern political history, agreed. Um, I mean, there must have been, yeah. there may have been some state senate race in 1880 <laughs> that like no one knows about, but that one, this one was on television. And, Ted, you're uh, yeah, an it ableist. Was, it, was, it was bleak. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. You want people to be able. That's terrible. Well, it's a politician. <laughs> they're politicians. Their job is to talk. Yeah. That's what they're supposed to do. Um, so anyway, that that that's pretty crazy. But, uh, you know, I think there's probably, you know, sometimes corporate media is right about things. So so I think there's some truth to that. But, but you know, the, I think the big secret is 60% of voters said that they are they don't want abortion bans. I think a lot of, uh, you know, Michael Moore said this, uh, that, you know, he predicted this and was laughed about it. I, I kind of wasn't sure he was right. But abortion turned out to be a huge issue in this election. Yeah. Um, you know, it, even in, uh, you know, the abortion, uh, proposed abortion ban, I think it's in Kentucky, may, may fail, uh, even in, you know, red states. So, uh, you know, I think that's turning out the Roe v. Wade fallout is is just proving to, you know, it staunched a lot of the bleeding for Democrats. I mean, if I were them, I wouldn't be patting myself, you know, uh, anywhere <laughs> today because they still lost the House of Representatives and there's things they could have done much better. Um, so basically, they just didn't lose by as much as one thought. Um, but, you know, nevertheless, uh, you know, I, I guess you can have a slight sigh of relief, but you're still going, the results are still the same. You're going into divided government, dysfunction, obstruction, uh, you know, everything that we talked about in the last week or so is still true. It's the end of Biden's presidency. Impeachment is coming, blah, blah, you blah. You think that? That's you really think they're going to try to impeach Biden on this? I mean, like, meaning, oh, yes. you think so? Absolutely. Oh, this will be, desi- I mean, they didn't learn from Clinton? Like, for me, the Republican, like, I thought the Clinton impeachment would have driven it's kind of like the Second World War with Germany, where it changed, the, you know, how they behave. They became far more of a passive country as a direct result. I thought that would take place after Bill Clinton impeachment, where they were like, OK, Clinton left with 70 percent approval rating as a president mm-hmm. because the people were so angry at the fact that they impeached the guy over, you know, messing around, per se. Um, that's not going to be true here for Biden. They don't you like you really believe that the Republicans haven't learned a lesson from that. They're not. I don't think they're going to. Yeah, I don't think they're ultimately going to impeach them, but you can be rest assured that articles of impeachment, again, because they've already been drawn before, but articles of impeachment will be drawn against Joe Biden. I don't think that they will ultimately impeach him and definitely not in the Senate either. I don't think they'll happen in the House either, but they're going to push this. Now, this is, but that's more red meat stuff for the base. It's like getting their base agenda for it. But it's nothing substantive. I don't think they're ultimately going to maybe just him. cause a little damage like oh, yeah. drag him through yeah. hell give, just, give, just the, give the base some red meat to say yeah. because that's what the base Once. wants yeah. that type of it's stuff like, get him but i don't think they're going to go as far as democrats to ultimately try to impeach him yeah well ted you, you know what i'm curious to see when it's all said and done is i'm curious to see the male 
Gen Z and millennial turnout because as important as Roe is to women, I'm not sure necessarily if the women want it for the Democrats. And in many ways, you know, it, it, obviously there is going to be um, a, a bigger Republican showing in the House chamber, at least. But I'm curious to know the young men because how many young men don't want to get snipped? And I say that as it's a joke. It's a joke, but it's also not a joke because the the it's like a three hundred percent rise in young men once the the row thing yeah. was was leaked. There was a sudden spike, like three hundred percent across the country, in young men getting snipped. A certain really? type yes. of young men, young white men on TikTok, getting snipped, getting snipped. and they're putting I mean, their snips on TikTok. On social media. So I'm curious to know if that, you know, if that is really what pushed over, uh, Democrats pushed over uh, the line for them, if that was the turnout. I would be curious about whether there was a youth, whether youth vote uh, be, was a serious factor this time around. Uh, certainly, voting has become a lot easier with same-day voting, early voting, uh, mail-in ballots, and that helps get, you know, young people, for example, college students uh, to to vote in, you know, often they go to school out of state, away from their homes, so it's, it's hard for them. Um, I do think that the framing of abortion as a men's, as a woman's issue is ridiculous. And, uh, it, and I think it always has been, um, you know, and, you know, obviously there's lots of pro-life women and there's lots of pro-choice men, uh, you know, back in the 1970s, uh, the equal rights amendment had higher support from men than women. Um, so, you know, just these things are more complicated than you think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, that's a very good point. And I actually agree with you on the Senate. I've said here on the show, you've heard me, many people have heard me talk about the two states that I talked about was Georgia and Nevada. Um, I wasn't bullish on the red wave, and I'm so thankful. I was telling Manila before the show, I'm so thankful that I'm not recorded anywhere talking about a red wave. And for one, um, I typically just don't do that anyway. Um, I think that the, the party itself was a bit too bullish on that, and for good reason. It's not as if polls were not suggesting yeah. that this was happening. And even Democrats themselves, they were oh, equally they as it was concerned. Yeah. yeah, so it, it's not as if, you know, oh, Republicans kind of made this up. But Republicans have already flipped nine seats. Um, we have outstanding. There are a couple that we're looking at right now that we may pick up in New York, California. We're still waiting some some percentage of the votes in California. We're like at 50 percent. Like we're at, it. Yeah. And so we there are a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, but and we can't count. <laughs> but there, there are we're expected to pick up a couple of seats in California, California as well. So, as I've said, you know, and I've said many times, we only needed four. Right. Well, we got the four, so yeah. we're going to get the house. That is not a thing. What happens is, and so the reason why this is even important, um, the control of the house um, margins matter somewhat in the House, because what happens is when you're on these committees, it gives you a governing majority on these committees. But for the most part, um, you know, the Republicans will be able to control the purse string. Right. So that's what I imagine. So, Ted, what do you think is will happen? Let's come January. Now, I believe that in a runoff, because I do think that the Georgia race is going to go into a runoff and in December, 
Um, I do actually think that Herschel Walker will pull it off. I said really? that if really, yeah, I, th- I it's said so that. Close. Oh, I think Warnock is going to take yeah, that. Well, and that the reason that I the reason that I say that um, Herschel Walker, if he goes into a runoff, for one, because he's already proven that he's competitive. Yes, he was counted out. I counted him out. Yeah. I said last year, oh God, Republicans, how could you nominate yeah. someone like Herschel Walker? And I never was pushing Herschel Walker throughout the entire campaign. But he showed that he was competitive. Georgia so loves football. You're go and, and I can tell you what can change the entire landscape and put Herschel Walker over the hump. If Donald Trump goes to Georgia and campaigns alongside Brian Kemp yeah. and Ron DeSantis, Herschel Walker wins. Really? Yes. What do you what what do you think on that? I, I agree with you, Malik, but for a different reason. I agree with you about the Trump factor, uh, but let's not forget that libertarian guy yes. who pulled two per, who pulled two percent. Yeah, he, I don't like to talk about spoilers. He was but, a spoiler. You know, he got two percent of the vote. Oh, and that would but have been we well, Republicans. No, but typically well, if it's a libertarian, it's Republicans. Republicans. Yeah. So he got two percent of the vote. So when he's out of it. That 2% is probably going to go to right. That's another, sure. yeah, very good point. You reminded me of that. Go, I'm sorry, go ahead, Ted. Yeah, so that's what I think. I think that, you know, I think, it's, of course, you know, you'd say, yeah, he, you know, where does the, where do those votes, where does this percentage go, right? It's not that those votes go anywhere. A lot of those libertarian voters probably wouldn't vote at all uh, for a non-libertarian. But where do the percentages go? I, I, I think they go more towards Walker. Um, so, you know, it's, I think conventional wisdom is, that you know, just uh, you know, Walker will. He was second place, so he'll he'll, he'll lose. But I, I think the dynamics are different here. Oh, interesting. I'm still going to put my vote behind Warnock, but we'll see. I could be totally wrong on this. You guys are better at the election stuff than I am. I, I'm curious though. What does it mean for Congress? I mean, like you said, it's a divided Congress. Even if Democrats are able to take the Senate, what does it matter? I know judicial appointments. Yes. Then I know from the standpoint of um, um, cabinet appointments. So fair enough. But what does it mean for the government itself? I mean, was Joe Biden really getting a huge amount done? I mean, I remember for the entire year that Joe Biden was in office for the very first term, nothing got done. I mean, they were talking about the, the yes, they got the COVID thing done, but so did Trump get the COVID bill passed. So that's, can't necessarily give Biden on that. Well, nothing's really going to get done now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now everything basically comes to a halt. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I'm going to push back a little bit on that. Trump got the COVID bill done. But Biden's COVID bill was a lot bigger than Trump's, and uh, it, in you know, it, it had a lot more impact, um, you know. And I, I do think this is going to make a difference. You know, we've we've been here before when you have a sitting president, a sitting Democratic president in a Republican House. Um, you know, you can kind of you end up either with obstructionism, or you know, f- the flip side is, for example, Jerry Ford in seventy uh, four. He after the seventy four midterms, he had to deal with a uh, blue wave. And basically, he ended up vetoing everything that crossed his desk. Right. Uh, nothing, nothing happened at all, even though the country was in crisis, right? OPEC, OPEC or oil crisis and in, in, inflation, blah, blah, blah. Um, then you've got uh, – but I think, I think with the uh, – in this particular scenario, you have uh, Biden who is – he's, he's going to veto everything. Uh, the, and, the, and the Democrats – I mean, sorry, the Republican House – is just not going to, you know, it's just going to keep sending things across his desk. I think it's, you know, we've seen this before. Just nothing is going to get done. Yeah. And you know what, Ted, I, I want your thoughts on this. So I, I, once I saw the, the molly whopping 
that Ron DeSantis gave oh, um, Charlie Crist. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he crushed him terribly. So uh, there was a lot of conversation. And I said at the time, I said, oh, boy, the, Nash- the conversation about DeSantis 2024 is happening. For me, I'm less impressed about DeSantis's win than I am Charlie. I mean, than I am Brian Kemp. The reason why is that DeSantis was running against Charlie Crist, the former Republican turned in independent, turned Democrat. Basically, he had no credibility. He's now lost. Every team. As he's now lost in every political part. He's lost as a Republican, he's lost as a Democrat, and he's lost as an independent. The first one, from what I understand, the first politician to lose all three yeah, in the state of Florida. Well, he's made history. So, he's made history. So <laughs> Crist was not a competitive Yeah. That was just not a competitive race. DeSantis should have beat him by what margins, whatever. Brian Kemp, on the other hand, Brian Kemp had Donald Trump campaigning against him. Donald Trump disliked him so that Donald Trump got um, Purdue, David Purdue, to run against Brian Kemp during the primary. Uh Brian Kemp beat Purdue during the primary. Trump, Trump world Magalan, they didn't like Kemp. They didn't like Raffensperger. Uh-huh. Definitely Raffensperger. They didn't like <laughs> him at yeah. all. Both of them won. Yeah. So for me, Brian Kemp is more impressive because he reminds me of a Glenn Youngkin in the sense in how he built his coalition. Yeah. Because he didn't run against Donald Trump. He just didn't talk about him. He stayed yeah. out of it. Yeah. He focused on, like like he, like um, Youngkin focused on Virginia. Mm-hmm. Brian Kemp for, focused on Georgia. So he survived Major League Baseball. He survived. It was ground zero for what Joe Biden called Jim Crow 2.0. Right. He survived that. And he survived a competitive race about against someone that he won by maybe 0.6% the last time. Mm. That was a competitive race. So he had a lot of incoming, and Brian Kemp came out in he a very it. decisive win. So for me— Brian Kemp is a much more impressive race because it was that much harder to win. Yeah, I can see that. What do you think, Ted? I, I agree with that completely. Uh, you know, I also want to add to that that Stacey Abrams was a darling of the National Democratic yes. Party. Oh, yes. And 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 got incredibly favorable media coverage and lots of outside money from outside the state. Oprah Winfrey, Barack Obama, she Everybody. brought in the big dogs. Well, apparently, according to Stacey, unfortunately, this year, black men have been very targeted population for misinformation. Not information about what they want, but why they want what they deserve. Ted, don't the- cry for Stacey Abrams, okay? <laughs> don't according cry. Her, her, don't cry for Stacey Abrams. She ended up... She has her her she ran books. a terrible campaign. Black men she has are her totally books, responsible for her yeah. losing Don't her She ran a terrible campaign. I mean, I kept, you know, I watched her speeches and I was kind of like, if I'm sitting in in Georgia, I'm like, okay, so what is this woman doing for me? As a, and what is she doing for the state? As far as I could tell, it was all came down to what could we do for her? And yeah. you know, JFK not with Standing, I don't think that's a good sales pitch. She 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 ran a 2018 and 2020 campaign. Now, what does ran, that mean? Explain so that. She was able to win. Let's let's go with. We'll just say 2020. Yeah. You have the racial violence going on. You have the hatred. Oh, I see what you mean. This was during the BLM of stuff. Donald yeah. Trump. So all of these things. She was pop. She was an oh, it girl. Oh, yeah. Okay. So she went from being an it girl, which is what she was from 2018 up until now. Um, she went from being an it girl. 
to, mm, maybe we're not that okay, into okay. you. So a girl in high school returns yeah. to high school reunion yeah. and thinks and she she's the still— the prom queen right. and everything. Not anymore. And they said, no, we're not that into And because—and we know this because the, the, the spread, I think, was about seven or eight points. As opposed to the point 0.1% last time. Yeah. yeah. No, that, and Kemp beat her by at least, yeah. I think, seven or eight points. Because beforehand, it was like less than 1%, right? Less than yeah. 1%. He, she lost favorability. Yeah, over yes. time. He expanded the gap. Yes. Over. Like so, she's much less popular now. And the what does she do from here? She just goes and she can't run for another political office. You don't think so? She doesn't. Is she she doesn't out, have is she any out, legs. Kev? Is she out? Yeah. What do you think about Stacey Abrams' career? I think that her agent is talking to MSNBC right now. I would not be shocked. Yeah. Wouldn't be shocked in the least. Because like you said, I agree. very popular. I take, I agree. I take Malik's point. I mean, she's, you know, although she could just become like the black Hillary Clinton, the one who always loses and keeps <laughs> trying. <laughs> it won't go away. Yeah, it's like everything just shows up for one loss after the next. Uh, speaking of losers, Beto. Beto. Oh, my God. Beto. Oh, yeah, God. Keeps running in race after race. I was in Spain at the time where Beto was running against Ted Cruz. And watching the election results, like two in the morning, slowly trickle in up to the point where my internet basically died, had to get a card that morning and everything else. Um, now he's running against, who was running against the governor at this point and, and loses once again. What's going to happen to Beto? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, where's Beto going to go from here? Is he going to get a contract? He, Beto probably, you know, he, I, I don't expect much to come from Beto. His political career is over. But, you think so? Oh, yeah. I mean, what else can he run for? He's run for president. He's run from senator. And he's run for governor. Has he run for <laughs> I mean, he's, what else can he run for? And he's lost at all of them. Yeah. Hey, and he's against, a reflection again, of— another yeah, popular let, let, let Republican. Chime in go here. ahead. He's a reflection of America. He's a uh, he's downwardly mobile, just like the rest. <laughs> downwardly mobile. <laughs> hey, Ted, what do you think about? Um, because there's a lot of conversation, obviously, about Miami Dade. Mm. Uh, Miami Dade in Florida. Miami Dade, if not the largest, I think it may be the second largest minority. Um, yeah, Florida uh, district in. Yeah. The country. Because that was where they had the hanging chads and stuff like that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Miami-Dade, apparently DeSantis and uh, Rubio did very well. Beat, what's her name? Um, oh, what is her name? I can't think of the black woman's Val name. Demings. Yeah, and Val he Demings. Gonna, he was going to beat her anyway. Yeah. But they did very well in Miami-Dade specifically. And apparently for the first time in, what, 30, 40 years, a Republican now has flipped that. Donald wow. Trump did well in Miami-Dade County. Yeah. Um, but now, Miami-Dade seems red. I really want to see like, these exit polls totally on how African-Americans and minorities voted in this race. I'm super curious about how that turned out. I, I, I probably think it, it's, it was somewhat along the, you know, the same history yeah. of what, you know, what, what we've Flor always done. Florida, for a long time, Ted, people were saying Florida was turning purple. I think it's ardently oh, no, it's red. red. It seems red. Yeah, red. it seems red at this point. What do you point. think? Well, I agree with that, uh, you know, and, and sort of skipping ahead to uh, maybe a question that you guys might be thinking about is, you know, what comes next for, you know, DeSantis, is he running against Trump? I maintain that he's been running for vice president under Trump and that uh, th this this just gives him more chits to collect with Trump. Uh, you know, I think there's going to be a little meeting at Mar-a-Lago. And, uh, you know, it's like, look, you're old, you might die in office, therefore, 
I'd love to be your vice president. And uh, but I don't think DeSantis. So DeSantis has completely solidified his ability to deliver Florida yes. to Trump. No question about that. And you know, the road to the White House always goes through Florida. So. He has to, Trump has to have it. It's very much like a Mike Pence type pick, you know. I mean, it balances the ticket ideologically. It balance I, heard the ticket. Say I don't think they're it balances both from it. Florida. Yeah, because but Trump, they're not both from Florida, really. Well, not He's a from, New Yorker. Well, they're not both from Florida, but DeSantis comes across as a mini Trump to me. He's Trump light. Yeah. yeah. Ted, after, Trump, after, New, after New York, you know all New Yorkers go to Florida when they get old. So. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, give me your take on New York for the moment. A hotel and that. Um, the Democrat versus, I forget who Zeldin. she's running against. Right. Zeldin. Zeldin. Give me a take on the New York one. I mean, that race was supposed to be relatively close. I mean. She won her first actual election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ocho. Yeah. Well, she's, okay. So first of all, there's only 93% of the vote in. Uh, it's 52.7 to whatever the remainder is. So she's up by five points, which means that two and a half percent of the vote had gone the other way. Uh, you know, then it could have gone the other way. That was an incredibly tight race. Um, the last votes to come in, and if I'm Lee Zeldin, I'd be very sad about this, are from his home district in Suffolk County on eastern Long Island, right? So when the final, uh, no one's going to care because the race has been called and she's claimed it and she has won. But I suspect that uh, when all is said and done, you're going to be looking at like 51, 49. Um, and, and that is crazy. I mean, it is... Um, you know, if I were the Democrats, I would be looking at that as a serious warning sign. Um, you know, Lee Zeldin is a far right Republican. But why, though? Why Why is it that close in New York? I mean, like, it's New York. It's supposed to be a blue state, right? Why is it so close where Hocho almost lost that race? Crime. Is it crime? Well, I think there's several... There's several things going on. First of all, she's basically like the Jerry Ford to uh, Cuomo's Richard Nixon, right? She only came in. She only came in because she wasn't elected, right? She was. She wasn't elected governor. She was elected lieutenant governor. Nobody's heard of her. The Washington Post had a piece about how she was campaigning in Manhattan, and people on the street didn't recognize didn't her. Even they didn't know who she was. was. <laughs> I mean, wow. so so she hasn't made a mark, right? She had a year. Uh, she's only had a year in office, but she didn't make she didn't use it very well. She seems to be kind of a wonky uh, per- politician who, you know, likes to burn the midnight oil, but doesn't maybe like to get out and and press the flesh with the actual voters. So, uh, I, you know, I think that did her in. Also, she was really tone deaf on the issues that New Yorkers cared about. I mean, you know, we I don't want to be told, well, technically the murder rate is lower than it was in 1990, as was one of her <laughs> things. Did I want to be told... Yeah, I mean, I want to be told that you're going to do something about the fact that New York City is just downright skeevy, and sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with statistics, although the statistics are bad. Uh, it has to do with sort of just the general creepitude of walking the streets, something that, you know, she doesn't know about, can't know about, won't know about, but she could pretend to know about the way FDR pretended to know uh, what afflicted working people. So, it's, uh, you know, I think she she was disconnected. Zeldin came off as less of an elitist, more connected, more at the more grassroots, and he just hammered away on crime. And it was the issue New Yorkers cared the most about. It is a warning sign for Democrats. Do you think there's any potential for the New York to go red like that? I mean, or is it just Hochul? Meaning, is it specific to Hochul? It's just her. Okay. It's specific to her. She's, she's weak. I mean, Cuomo would have destroyed him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. I think Cuomo's staging that comeback like we talked about the other day. By the way, do you think he's staging a comeback? Do you think Cuomo has any potential to come back in New York? Well, you know, his, I think it wouldn't be the voters who would stop it. Um, the voters, you know, would, would be like, oh, I remember Mario. Uh, I remember him. And I think he, you know, and Me Too has kind of been, you know, a lot of the thought of the air has been sucked out of Me Too. It's no longer really a, much of a thing anymore. And I think there was some overreach there. So, uh, but but Albany, the power structure, the machine that he once ran, hates him. Um, you know, he terrorized them. And so, you know, now that the state assembly has been <laughs> freed from the yoke of, Cu- of Cuomo as party boss, I think there's, a, you know, there there's a lot of people in Albany who just don't want him back and will do a lot of things behind the scenes to make sure he can't fundraise or, uh, you know, and make any kind of comeback. So it, that I'm not it's not impossible. I wouldn't bet against him. But that's the challenge. It's really, it's the, you know, it's the deep state in the state. Well, Ted, let's let's take a look more broadly at the, the very slight shift in Congress going red. Do you think on a world stage, this is going to make any difference? Because the Kremlin spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, has already come out saying he's very pessimistic about this, you know, red wave, this red trickle. Whatever the case, no matter who's in Congress, he says the relations between Russia and the U.S. are at a stalemate. They're still bad, not going to change, very pessimistic and cynical about it. What do you think? Is anything going to change globally with more Republicans in power? You know, I do think that the, uh, the, 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 red, the, the, the blue wave of cash to Ukraine is going to slow to a trickle under the Republicans. It's not like they're going to completely cut Zelensky off. But uh, I think a Republican House is just going to be more responsive to sort of, a, you know, a MAGA nationalistic Pat Buchanan, America first kind of you know, mode. And I think the Ukrainians haven't helped themselves uh, by you know, saying that they're not willing to even talk about negotiations or ceasefire talks. So, uh, you know, I, 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 there's, you can look at the polls. I mean, certainly Republicans have, be, have started to turn against Ukraine. Um, and it, it, you're going to see the Democrats follow not that far behind. Uh, you know, war fatigue, funding fatigue. As the economy gets worse, people ask, hey, tens of billions of dollars to this country, I, you know, I don't care about. What about us? Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's going to make a difference. I don't think it means that uh, the U.S. and Russia are going to resume their World War II alliance, but it's certainly, you know, the heat's going to be a little more off. Yeah, I wanted to add, what are your thoughts? And Because it definitely is one of the ones that I was um, telling people that maybe we should watch. So Nevada. In Nevada, both the Senate candidate, um, Laxalt, and Lombardo. Lombardo was actually beating Sisolot by five points. Now, it's only 80% of the vote in in Nevada, but Republicans have a very good chance of actually flipping Nevada at the gubernator, you know, at the governor's seat, but also the senator um, one of the Senate seats itself. What do you think about that and particularly considering the amount of the Hispanic vote that is in Nevada? Well, yeah, not to mention there's a kind of a Democratic Party machine in mm-hmm. Nevada, right? The by, old Harry by the uh, the old head. <laughs> That's right. Who basically runs the hotel union, um, which I guess pretty much everyone in Nevada belongs to. Um, so it's a, it is a, yeah, no, it's, it's a really interesting story because, um, you know, I would have 
in the past, uh, you know, maybe just four years ago, said that uh, you know actually Nevada was more is was a little more purplish than Arizona, but now it but in this cycle it's the other way around, and you know I mean it may come down to the specifics of the candidates involved, but you know it just shows that there's a lot of. Uh, you know, political and demographic migration. Also, you know, when you have a sparsely populated state like Nevada, you know, a move of 10,000 or 20,000 votes in one direction or another makes a huge difference. Let's talk about Tiffany Cross. Let's talk about Tiffany Cross. And she basically was fired from MSNBC. Um, she, let's say, said a few things off air that apparently didn't necessarily go down well. Um, Tiffany Cross and... This is super interesting to me. So right here, have taken heat from, oh, and you get people who are basically pushing back on the fact that she was fired. Um, she had disparaged Florida, saying that it needed to be castrated, calling it something like the penis of America. There was this thing about Clarence <laughs> she Thomas. She called <laughs> There was Clarence Thomas and calling, what is it, a pubic hair on a Coke can? Oh, my God. Something like that. But all things been equal. She's been fired from the show, and apparently she was fired like over a weekend. Um, Oberman. It's not taking this well. Now, Oberman, if you remember, used to be MSNBC's firebrand. Keith, Keith Oberman. Oberman. Keith, right. They dragged him out of nowhere. And he is greatly annoyed by this. He goes after Lawrence O'Donnell, calling him a snake, basically saying he doesn't expect O'Donnell to say anything because he's a snake. Went after, say he was mystified by um, Hayes and Maddo being silent. And give me your take on this. I mean, look, it's, I get that when you're on a show like this on MSNBC or something like that, it seems that their relationship had, was frayed long before it got to that particular point. But does Oberman have a point? Many of the hosts, especially the African-American hosts, let's say Joanne Reed, who you could say is it's somewhat of a similar boat in some of the things that she's basically said, has basically come out strong for. Give me a take on this. I mean, why do you think they cut her loose? And is it really the commentary? Like, meaning, is MSNBC really that much of a, I don't know, a hard ass? When the commentary stuff, where their thing is like, we don't want you saying these things, so we're going to get rid of wasn't you. Wasn't she a guest on a different network when she said this? When she said, uh, Charlemagne the yeah, Charlemagne oh. the God. Charlemagne the God. Yeah, she was on, basically, she wasn't on air when she said this stuff. She was basically on a different network. But give me your take on this. I mean, Oberman is coming out <laughs> strong. Um, but Oberman himself, of course, was cut loose from MSNBC, if you remember, unceremoniously. And there was this thing that Oberman couldn't keep a job because they say he was basically insufferable. Um, Not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or nuts. Um, but give me a take, Ted. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, I, look, I like Keith Oberman uh, as an entertainer. Um, I used to love his show. I used to, Keith Oberman was the one that got me into politics. Him, yeah, like when he would tear up things and, and throw yes. them over the desk and stuff. Uh, I love that. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, but him, frankly, him criticizing MSNBC is like me criticizing the LA Times. I mean, you know, disgruntled former employee. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but he's, uh, he, look, I, look, I think what happened here is that uh, MSN, you know, M NBC in particular, uh, you know, 30 Rock, those people, I know a little bit about it because I used to be quite a frequent guest in there. And I even, my agent even flirted with trying to get me a job over there. Interesting. And the way it is, it's, and if you look at, say, Joy Reid, for example, she's been fired and demoted and then like reappears. And they, they do that. Like basically, if you're in the family and you follow their rules and you do what they say, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what they want you to say because they don't tell you. But if you can figure it out, um, you know, basically they'll, 
you know, they'll, they'll shiv you, but then you'll reappear. And it's kind of like, don't worry, you're still in the mob. It's cool. They'll shiv you? <laughs> well, it says right here, it says, sources close to the situation told Fox News Digital that Cross had showed, quote, repeated bad behavior on and off air, unquote. Oh, maybe she was like a horrible diva. I don't know. They're, they're saying that it's stuff that she said on and off air. They said including over-the-top rhetoric for conservatives and Republicans were the target of the majority of Cross disparaging comments. But many of her biggest fans don't seem to care about the, quote, bad judgment, unquote, that resulted in MSNBC showing her the door. Meaning, it's like, look, this is red meat for liberals. Leave her to her devices. Yeah, and so she was on, she was the top-rated, one of, actually the top-rated show for MSNBC on the weekend, which actually isn't saying a whole lot. Oh. But... Because the numbers are so low. Yeah, yeah the numbers are already so low. I mean, are we low. talking Brian Stelter numbers? That low? Uh, no, she, I think she was, she was above Better Brian Stelter. <laughs> but from what I understand, people who know, you know, were close to the situation is that Tiffany Cross had been told before. So Basically, the, like, calm down. The CEO, Rashida, can't believe her name, she's a black woman. Yeah. She's the, the boss yeah. now. And oh, of MSNBC. MSNBC. Oh, what did Madeline write? There's a, what is it? There's a special place in hell for a yes. woman not back on planet. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Clinton. But there, there were, they were having conversations with her because of some of her commentary. But it wasn't just the commentary on air. Um, Tiffany, after she did her show every day, she would do an Instagram live. Mm-hmm where she would just go down in the dumps. Oh, she would say just, whatever she has to say, and it's and out there. It, and and yeah. they had been telling her, Calm you know, down. just pull it back some. Yeah. And she would not do it because, you know, the, the lure, it's almost like catnip. Yeah. People are retweeting you, so you go viral because you're saying something nasty. Yeah. But and look, I can tell she you. She was a TV host, not a political commentator. Right. When you're on YouTube or when you're doing those things on the site, your audience— you have to get to the point where you don't care about the take of your audience because they drag you in different directions. Like your audience can pull you. You're going to have people who are further to your left, people further to your right. And they're... And they'll stray you. Yeah. All, it it always works that For way. For example, Jamel Hill. Uh-huh. Jamel Hill lost her plush job at ESPN because she wanted to be a social media, social warrior at, MS, at ESPN. And what she did that was during the Colin Kaepernick thing, she threatened a boycott of the NFL working on ESPN. While working on ESPN? That's why they let her go. So Tiffany crosses in a similar way because they had told Jamel, Don't do that. You can't do that. Pull back. You can't work at ESPN. But her response was, I'm a black woman. I'm concerned about, I center people of color. I need a space to talk about. And ESPN said, no, you can't can't do that This is not the space to do that. And so Tiffany Cross, Ted... Tiffany Cross is in the same situation. Interesting. And I think and I think what happened is perhaps, right, her boss thought, well, you know, I'm not going to catch as much flack for firing a black woman because I am a black woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but 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 look, Tiffany Cross played this really well. Uh, she's now officially a uh, a media martyr. Um, people are paying attention to this for now. I think, you know, it's the way it was done four days before the midterms. Uh, I think and that a, really the day kind before of before her show, like literally she didn't even get a chance to close out her show. Yeah. She did the Charlemagne to God interview and hours later, they cut her loose. MSNBC let her go and notice in her response. If you read, if you looked at her response, she didn't say it was unfair. She didn't say, she said she was disappointed. Yeah. But she didn't say it was unfair because she knew. Yeah. So she's not protesting. She had already been warned. She had already been given the heads up. Mm -hmm. Wow. She knew. Right, right. 
I mean, I personally, I'm probably more on team Tiffany cross here than not just because I mean, who cares that, you know, like she didn't want to play nice with them. I mean, if she was a diva, okay, that's not good. But you know, if it's, if she's, you know, a little bit off the reservation as a, you know, commentator so who Joy shouldn't Reed. be a commentator. So what? Yeah, so is Joy and Reed. Well, Joy they, well, they is... want to actually. The, so Joy Reed was supposed to go in the spring. I don't know if you guys remember. There was there were talks about Joy Reed not making it because they were doing some restructuring. So yeah. she wasn't supposed to have her show. So I think for the Democrats and even for MSNBC, they've locked themselves in. They boxed themselves in. Yeah. Because they've got rid of one black woman. They're not going to be able to get rid of. I Joy guess my Reed. question is: Is it really that big of a deal if Tiffany Cross goes off the rails when she's doing her? YouTube yeah, channel. because at the end of the day, that's why I use Jamel Hill as an example. You know, it's it's it's. it's but she was doing that thing. on air, though. Right. It was a different thing to offer political commentary right. on different things. But Tiffany Cross is a host. Yeah. She is a TV host on the platform, and they, as networks, were trying to pull away from all of the. You know. Oh, the, that's right. And Tucker Carlson like read her statement or something like yes. <laughs> read her statement on air. Yes, because and that was that was another that was one of the other things that they had a problem with with both Tiffany and um, Reed. Um, Reed because they pick fights with Tucker Carlson and other and speak about other but, journalists at other. But networks. so did Oberman. Oberman used to go after but Bill O'Reilly. Where is Oberman? Look, that, <laughs> look, I, look. I would tell you this: that used to be. He used to go after O'Reilly. He used to go after Lou Dobbs. He was like Lou. I mean, like he well, used to Tucker rag on them. So, exactly. That's what Race I mean. I don't. Lady. I don't see anything wrong with. Look, I used to love Oberman going after those guys. It, some of his best segments was him going after either Billo or going after O'Donnell. I mean, I don't know. I don't take an issue with it. Meat. Yeah, it was. I mean, Ted, but Ted, but what is MSNBC Ted. if not? Ted, this is the conflation between news, op-ed, news personality, yes. and reality TV. And that's what it is. And they are different. And I think maybe what the networks don't really understand is that these distribution channels really are kind of walled off from each other. I mean, you really, I mean, in this day and age, Walter Cronkite could deliver the CBS Evening News and be all Mr. Serious and then go do a TikTok video uh, where he starts cursing and, and going off the rails uh, in, with far right or far left politics. And probably most people sitting at home watching the Evening News would never even hear about it, much less see it. I mean, there just isn't that much cross-pollination of these kinds of media, right? I mean, so I... I I, I think in a way they were they were worried, to, you know, I, uh, about something they needn't have worried about too much. You don't really need a morals clause for a a, a TV commentator anymore. It's infotainment anyway. Yeah. Um. In one point, I want to say though, they're not going to fire Joy Reid because man, she is so. I mean, I just hate to say it. She says things that are completely not true all the time, <laughs> but she is so damn charming. The camera loves her. Uh, they're not going to let her go. Oh well, they can't now. Well, yeah, they already they, 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 they got rid of their black women. Now they're quota. playing the token, the token <laughs> card. Well, they've gotten rid of their quota of black women apparently for for the thing. Look, I got to be honest. The more I think about this, I don't know if I have too much issue with. Yeah, I used to love Oberman doing that stuff, and maybe that's why Oberman is so adamant about it because it's like, look, I used to do this in general. More than forty black leaders have sent a letter to MSNBC oh, President Rashida out. Jones in protest of the cancellation of the cross connection oh, with Tiffany Cross. Oh, come on. <laughs> You can't put this woman back oh, on because on. she's black. Did anybody, did any white leaders protest Megyn Kelly and saying, well, why did Fox let her go? Yeah. Why? I mean, I, I mean that's, that's this, something weird. Here. They didn't fire her because she was black. So what is the black leader stuff? 
I don't know, Tara. I know, final, but final just... on that because nobody, nobody says, nobody bats an eye when anybody else gets fired from anywhere else. Nobody cried a river for poor Brian Stelter. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, I mean, I think no, actually quite a few media types. Go ahead, go ahead. Tom. Actually, quite a few media types cared about about Brian Stelter. It was kind of you know, in in my admittedly very white milieu, uh, there were a lot of people who were very upset about it. Really? Really? Stelter had a contingency of people. Yeah, no, I, th- I you know, it's, it, honestly, I think he was like the velvet underground of of, of media commentary. <laughs> you know, like nobody really, nobody, there are 1,200 people paid attention, but, you know, they were, twelve. those 1,200 people really cared. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that's exactly, you know, what happened. I mean, he, he was watched by a very core group of uh, inside media types and uh, and and they and they sort of viewed him being canned as CNN saying we don't care about journalism with a capital J I mean media criticism is kind of a super important thing and there isn't much of it left anymore interesting all right fair enough <laughs> Brian Stelter Cam- screaming two percent of the population let me be honest camera did not like Brian Stelter <laughs> camera the audio not much like Brian Stelter uh, but uh, Ted <laughs> Rawl thank you my man Ted Rawl is a political cartoonist and syndicated columnist you can follow Ted on Twitter at Ted Rawl and read his cartoon and articles at Rawl.com you guys are listening to Fault Lines my name is Jamal Thomas Manila Chan Malik Abdul back in a moment for the last hour Fault lines. Fault lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. We continue to be joined by Malik Abdul. He is the go-to of the election um, stuff that's taking place today. It's Judgment Day, even though a judgment hasn't necessarily been rendered yet. We're still waiting. The election's wonk. Yeah, we're still waiting, counting votes. For whatever reason, we couldn't necessarily get those things counted last night when the election took place. We can't count. Don't hate on my home state because we have, you know what, for all its faults. Very low STEM scores. We Very low STEM <laughs> scores right now. Right now, but regardless, we have risen from, if we were an independent nation, we are now the number four economy in the world. I mean, that's hard to put into context, right? California is Maybe because we miscounted our coffers. I don't know. Oh, is that what it is? It's like they just count. kept miscounting all these years. They were number four count. for years. They we just got it wrong. <laughs> right. We multiplied and divided wrong. I don't know. But, but that's, I mean, and this always gets to the Senate stuff. Why well, I always complain about the filibuster. California, fourth largest economy in the world if it was a country, and yet it gets two votes in the Senate. And everybody complains to me, oh, but we need the filibuster. It's like, well, what about other parliaments? They don't have a filibuster in parliament, and yet those countries, they make it perfectly fine. I, I don't know. This is one of those things I get aggravated about, because all things being equal, I want things to take place. And I hate the fact that people like Joe Manchin, one vote is enough to basically put a kibosh on pretty much anything that gets done. Um, by the way, they had capacity in the House. Um, the, what do they call them? The, the, the squad had enough members to basically put a stop on legislation every bit as much as Joe Manchin did to never would have used that power. So now they're going to lose it. There's that. Yeah. You get what you get. Get what you get. And I'm looking at Malik. Headlines. 
news. On to some headlines. Just a bit of midterm election update. The Senate is nearly neck and neck with near Republicans taking 49 cents seats and Democrats with 48. Democrats stole one seat from Republicans. Republicans need to take two from Democrats to win the Senate. The House of Representatives race is heating up with Republicans so far taking 199 seats while Democrats have taken 172. Republicans have flipped nine seats. I believe there is an additional 16 seats that Republicans would need to flip to regain control. In the race for governor, the GOP has won 24 states, while the Democrats have taken 21. Democrats have taken two red states, while the Republicans at this point have not been able to poach anything. But Nevada is outstanding, and apparently Lombardo in Nevada has been leading in the race to become the next governor of Nevada, who is a Republican. In domestic news, more talking about the midterm, the shaky start to voting in the midterm elections in Arizona, Maricopa County. On Tuesday, prompted Fox News host Tucker Carlson to call for an end to the use of electronic voting machines. Carson insisted that the core problem is we're not really serious about democracy if we're using electronic voting machines or if we're not requiring photo ID to vote. Approximately an hour after the voting began, some of Maricopa County's 223 voting sites started to experience technical issues with the tabulators, according to the state's media outlets. Ballots were not being properly read because the formatting marks were not dark enough for the tabulators to read thanks to the printer settings, officials say. According to various estimates, between 10 and 30 percent of the electronic vote tabulation machines in the county were malfunctioning at some point until technicians fixed the issue. I disagree with Tucker here. I have no problem with electronic voting. I did it here. And in fact, I went and voted. I did it electronically. I got a receipt. And I also got a text message. This is what they're doing in D.C., Maybe this is something we should try to look at in other places around the country because by the time I walked down the street from the polling place, I got a text saying, hey, bro, you voted. But in more domestic news, the assets of Tesla and SpaceX founder Elon Musk have fallen below $200 billion for the first time since September of last year. Now, he's only worth, you know, Say that again just to stress it he's only worth a measly 197.4 billion dollars hey i would love to take what comes after that decimal point but this is where we are u.s financial experts suggested that the twin factors which are responsible for the fall in his fortune are a massive dip in tesla shares and musk selling his stock to fund his recent acquisition of Twitter. The electronic car maker's shares dropped to the lowest levels in more than a year this week. According to a filing submitted to U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, on Tuesday, Musk also sold $4 billion of Tesla shares after his Twitter takeover just last month. And in international news... The United States is prolonging the conflict in Ukraine in order to profit from sales of military equipment and liquefied natural gas 
exports. This is according to the Russian ambassador to the U.S., Anatoly Antonov, who told Sputnik. Quoting, the White House cannot escape responsibility for prolonging the conflict and killing innocent people. However, the United States continues with this maniac maniacal yeah, persistence to adhere to the tactics of war of attrition by exhausting everyone, Ukrainians, Russians, Europeans, as well as ordinary Americans, Antonov said, adding that there are several reasons for this, one of them being the presence of economic interest, the desire to skim the cream through the mass sale of military equipment and LNG supplies, only business, nothing personal. The ambassador also said that the United States is waging war with Russia until the Ukrainian, until the last Ukrainian. He also pointed out that U.S. officials often say they will not talk to Russia about Ukraine without the participation of Ukraine and that it is up to Kiev to decide at what point to sit down at the negotiating table. Turkish Foreign Minister Melvut Kavusoglu Soglu said he did not see threats or risk on the gas hub project proposed by Russia. Quoting, as for the gas hub project, I don't see any threats or risks here. The purpose of this proposal is European markets. Today, we have reduced our dependence on Russian gas from 60% to 44% as there are opportunities for diversification. Kavusoglu said, adding that in principle, we have already become a hub. We are already playing the role of a center. Turkey has become an important factor. He said this during a question and answer section of the Parliament's Planning and Budget Committee meeting. And moving on with more international news, Taiwan has allocated $1.6 billion from the public funds to build a domestic supply chain of drones within a year in case of confrontation with Beijing. British media reported on Wednesday citing senior Taiwanese officials. The initiative is part of efforts of Taiwan's leader, Xiao Ingwan, to make armed forces focus on an increasingly pressing threat from Beijing, which has stepped up its military maneuvers near the island since August. This is according to the newspaper. Galvin, Gavin Williamson, the UK's Minister of State Without Portfolio, announced his resignation on Tuesday evening after objections were, were raised to his appointment while he was still the subject of an ethics investigation in a letter to the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. On Tuesday, Williamson said he was stepping back from his office because the investigation into his past conduct was becoming a distraction for the government. I have therefore decided to step back from government so that I can comply fully with the complaints process that is underway and clear my name of any wrongdoing. And in more international news on Wednesday, North Korea fired at least one ballistic missile, according to the South Korean military. Quoting North Korea fires an unspecified ballistic missile towards East Sea, Seoul's Joint Chiefs of Staff said in a statement. A missile was launched by North Korea on Wednesday, fell outside Japan's exclusive economic zone in the Sea of Japan. Japanese media reported, according to those reports, 
the crisis headquarters at the office of Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida is currently collecting and analyzing information about the latest North Korean missile launch. And on this day in history, 1980, Iraqi President Saddam Hussein declares holy war against Iran. And in 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall that Manila remembers all too well. And in 1994, Darman Stadium, which is the chemical element 110 discovered at GSI Helmholtz Center for Heavy Ion Research near Darmstadt, Germany. In 1998, brokerage houses are ordered to pay 1.03 billion US dollars to NASDAQ investors to compensate for price fixing, which was the largest civil settlement in US history. And in 2020, drug makers BioNTech and Pfizer announced their COVID-19 vaccine to be over 90% effective and a first look at the results from their phase three trial involving 44,000 people. These are your headlines for today, Wednesday, November 9th. You are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. Yeah, I know I wasn't crazy. John Kerry, COP27, shaking hands with Maduro, looking like they're best friends. Hey, Maduro, how's it going? I'm doing fine. How are you doing, John Kerry? I'm doing great. Shaking hands and all that good stuff. I know we tried to murder you a few years ago, but we're good, water right? under the bridge. We're good. We're good now. Palling around with Maduro. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I mean, they literally tried to have the guy whack. They had the drone nearly kill the guy. Um, you had Juan Guaido signing, what is it? I forget the name of the company, but basically to kill or capture Maduro, where they were going into the country, raiding military bases and all of this other nonsense. And now these guys look like they've been buddies for years. Maduro, how's it going, buddy? The contradiction of geopolitics. It's amazing. And when Juan Guaido was taken aback, I said, they need the oil. I I just thought, they need the oil. It's that. If anybody's wondering what happened to Guaido, it's called oil. He got the chairs thrown out, remember? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right. They needed the oil. I'm watching this, and it is amazing. Maduro is just just walking around, shaking. Hey, Junker. Hey, hey, Junker. How's it going? You had Lula, who basically called um, Maduro almost immediately at the point of the end of that win. So what? Is Maduro now back into the international circuit of countries? He's now in the good team? Is that what's going on? No. I'm amazed by this. Oh, you said no? No. I think he's on the good team for as long as they need that oil. Sanctions are not lifted. It's, this, is, this is just lipstick on a pig. They're, is that what it is? Yeah, they're just for now because the, the proof is in the pudding. Uh-huh. Un- until they normalize relations, and formally, formally withdraw their statements on Juan Guaido and officially re-recognize Maduro, nothing doing. This I don't is, think they're going to formally do any of that stuff. I think that stuff is going to be somewhat informal. And I think they are going to be making these deals or agreements, hopefully with the idea of getting Maduro closer. If I was Maduro, I would accept nothing less right than that. N- See, okay. Nothing short of that. Lift I'm more the sanctions, spiteful. recognize me. Yeah, see, I'm more spiteful. If I was Maduro, I wouldn't help them with anything. I mean, yeah, of course he wants the sanctions lifted and stuff like that, so he made glad hand no, and all this other stuff. That doesn't mean he, he should do it. I'm yeah. just saying, if I was Maduro, I wouldn't even talk to you unless you formally withdraw all of your comments and statements saying that Juan Guaido is the <laughs> anointed leader. Admit that my elections are, are true and fair. Yeah. 
and I'm the president of Venezuela. Yeah. And then we can begin then talking. We can talk. Then we'll talk at all. Doesn't mean I'll say yes, but yeah. I'll bother talking to you. Yeah. I put it this way. I think it is utterly humiliating for John Kerry to be shaking hands with Maduro after all of that nonsense with Juan Guaido and everything else. And whether they formally lift that stuff or not, it is humiliating to say that Juan Guaido was head of that country. Then all of a sudden you're out here glad handing at this point because of the position that you've basically put yourself in. You so. act like our politicians have any integrity, Jamar. Oh, no, I don't act. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it is humiliating <laughs> for that, for this picture to be online with these guys shaking hands and Carrie shaking hands like, I've known this guy forever. This uh, guy's my been buddy. my buddy. Yeah. Amigo. Hello. Yeah. What is this Juan Guaido stuff? And maybe you should have brought that up right there. What about this Juan Guaido stuff? Maybe you should just sit that right off the bat. I don't know. It's just it's just embarrassing. That's all. Um, but look, you guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, middle of the channel, Malik Abdul. We're coming back, still talking about the election. Let's have a conversation about why that red wave didn't happen in the way we thought that red wave was going to happen. We're going to have a Republican on. Have the conversation. Fault Lines, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan and Malik Abdul coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what we're putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and a course. You can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is. Don't be shy. We'll get to your calls at 945. But I want to bring in our guests. We're still waiting on the election results at this point. The latest, the Senate is still nearly neck and neck, where Republicans taking 49 seats and Democrats with 48 seats. Democrats was able to still take, win, two seats for Republicans. Um, for the Senate. We also have the situation where uh, Republicans basically need two in order to take the Senate. The House of Representatives race is heating up with Republicans taking 199 seats with Democrats taking 172. And the governor's race, the GOP has won 24 states with Democrats holding 21. Democrats have taken two red states while Republicans have been unable to poach anything from Democrats. Let's bring in our guests. We're joined with Steve Gill. Steve Gill is an attorney at C and CEO at Gill Media, a Nashville, Tennessee-based public affairs and media marketing company. He also served as director of intergovernmental affairs for the United States Trade Representative. Steve, welcome to the show. Welcome back, man. How are you doing this morning? Doing good. Good morning. So it was a red wave election. It was just the wave that the queen used to do where she would just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so so it's not the 45 seats. It's a sprinkle. That was being estimated yesterday. It so you don't like think they're going to get the 45 seats. This was more like just like 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 Manila, a sprinkle. This was a mist, a red mist. Why didn't we get the red wave that we were expecting? Because I got to be honest, I thought it was going to be a red wave myself. I thought Republicans were basically going to dominate. Yeah, I thought the showing would be bigger. Yeah, same here. So what happened? What was, why didn't this red wave come about in the way that we thought it was going to come about? I think there were a lot of suspicious uh, polling errors, if, if we call them errors rather than intent. You know, in Pennsylvania, they were running out of ballots in, in places where Republicans vote. They were sending out ballots to uh, 200 and something thousand people who were not legitimate voters in 
in Arizona, which still hangs in the balance. Uh, I think Carrie Lake may still end up winning the governor's race there. But uh, you had Republican areas where 25 to 27 percent of the machines were not operating. People were leaving. And you had a Democrat judge that refused to allow them to keep the voting open yes. for people to come in and cast their votes. Whereas in Pennsylvania, man, they could vote till nine, ten o'clock at night in the Democratic areas there. So, uh, you know, while we've been told for years that the myth of election fraud is not real, we saw it play out yesterday. We're seeing it continue to play. So just wait. So just be clear. The reason it wasn't the red wave was because of cheating. That's your argument on this. Well, I think in those in those specific examples, uh, that's exactly what we saw. I think the other the other issue is uh, I don't know if you've seen the CNN National House exit poll, but uh, when you look at the 65 plus voters, they went according to CNN's exit poll plus 13 for Republicans, 45 to 64 plus 11. Uh, 18 to 29 voters plus 28 for the Democrats. So all these 18 to 29, you know, woke folks that uh, will not be able to get a job, won't be able to have any prosperity or economic success, but by God, they will know their pronouns. Yes. (laughs) But, and, and let me, let me defend Steve's point here in Arizona, a place I used to live, Maricopa County, uh, I believe 60 percent of the entire state live in Maricopa County. More than 220, more than 220 machines had problems. Um, It was spitting them out. It wasn't counting them. Then you had people working those polls, giving misinformation to those voters who were like, wait, it's not reading. uh, It's not tabulating my vote. These poll workers were telling people, and this is all from local press in Arizona, these poll workers were telling the voters in Maricopa County, you can go to another polling place and submit your vote there. That's not not true. Yeah, that's not true because they were re- they they walked into their assigned polling place. They got checked in, if you will, you know, like at a restaurant, yeah. like you're checked in. Okay, you're sat down. And then there's no, you find out there's no food at the restaurant. You get up and go to the other. Well, no, but our but the sister restaurant said that I can come here and get my food I ordered. Yeah, and that doesn't work. And that's not what happened. So a lot of these people petered out, right? Or maybe they ran out of time. The judge, uh, as, as Steve said, was like, oh, you haven't shown us any legitimate evidence of this causing a problem. What logic would tell you this is causing a problem? But doesn't that happen in every election? I mean, for example, it's like when people would go and they'd try to vote and they would say, okay, here's a provisional ballot that is going to be basically be thrown in the trash. I mean, like meaning in every election, you have situations where they would say, where there would be, let's say, electoral issues. Does it really adversely affect the election in such a way where 45 seats go to what? 10 seats. I mean, is that what we're really no, saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm, I'm pointing, okay, I'm, just pointing, I'm, no, just, I, I I'm trying to talk the about. I said, said at the beginning, uh, argument in Arizona uh, and because I know people there and I know reporters on the ground. I'm just saying, this, even this, if I grant you the Arizona thing being an issue, I still say that that stuff is in every election where but it's if, like the provisional ballot to, stuff. To President Biden's argument of democracy is on the ballot, how is that fair? <laughs> no, that's not fair. How is that fair to the Arizona voters? I used to live there, so I take this. I take some umbrage to that. And by the way, it's not fair to anybody, even when they go and vote a provisional ballot and they throw the ballot in the trash. It's just not. And none of those things should take place in the election, but I have no belief at all that that changes it from 45 seats to 10. I don't buy the premise. But Steve, go for it. Is that what it is? I mean, but we've, seen a, we've seen a consistent pattern of this happening in these blue states where, again, it, it makes the question marks about election integrity 
uh, that have been denied for the last two years, been denied for the last uh, several years, vociferously by the media. And yet we have seen in recent weeks uh, that uh, Democrats have been indicted uh, for election fraud. And, and what do we have in Arizona? Again, just to, to circle it back and put the bow on top of the package, who is overseeing the um, incompetent and insidious election in Arizona? Oh, that would be Katie Hobbs, who is running for governor, who is the secretary of state, who has refused to recuse herself from overseeing the election process. So the woman who has most to gain by the vote fraud is overseeing the commission of vote fraud. But wasn't the same thing true in Georgia when Brian Kemp Isn't was running it against Stacey Abrams and he was basically running the state also? Like Raffensperger is the secretary yeah. of state. And he's still running. He, yeah, he's running that goes both ways. Secret- That's not just a Democrat or Republican. It's a conflict thing. of interest, and all these people should yeah. be recusing themselves from the voter overseeing if Agreed. you're on the ballot. Agreed. But that's more so Sarah. I mean, the, the like Raffensburg, that's more ceremonial. Then it's not like they're controlling the levers or anything like that. It's like they're the person who who signs off on it. But at That's the time, wasn't Brian Kipp was the one who was basically trying to get rid of a certain number of people who were on the ballot and that thing. I mean, granted, this yeah, goes so, back to so the last that, election. Yeah, so that, that was one of the issues in 2018 and what Stacey Abrams, part of her lawsuit, that they kick voters off right. of the rolls. but. Every state cleans their voter rolls, which is essentially what the court— Call it cleans. I mean, when they were doing that in New York for Bernie Sanders and getting rid of all of those um, people, what, hundreds of thousands? I mean, New York, they took New York to court over that. New York broke the law, state and federal law, on this notion of getting rid of voters off the voter rolls. But I think that's part of the challenge, the nationwide challenge, because each state has their own thing. Now, yes, if you don't vote after a certain period— I do think that your name should be kicked off the voter rolls, but that's different according to where you live. In certain places, it may be, for instance, what they did in Florida with their new legislation. If you don't vote, I think maybe in two election cycles. They scrub you. Right. Or something like that. Or they send you a letter and they're assuming that you're still at the location where they send the letter to. Stuff like that. Right, 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 right. There has to be a better way to do this. I mean, Steve, let me ask you this. If Republicans are able to take the House and the Senate, are they going to push election integrity um, legislation? I mean, they complain about it so much. Are they going to do anything about it? Well, again, it's not a federal issue. It's a state-by-state issue. And where are you seeing these problems? You're seeing them in the blue states where, uh, where Democrat governors, Democrat secretaries of state. George Soros spent a ton of money. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. $130 million. These positions to, to put people in place that would oversee the election fraud. And let's get back to Georgia for a moment. Uh, Yes, you had a Republican governor, Republican secretary of state. But in Atlanta, where the supposed water pipes burst, that was a lie, where they were locking people out to watch the election process and the counting process, those were Democrats controlling the Democrat process. And and there was clear fraud going on that still has not been investigated. You go up to Pennsylvania. Years ago, the uh, Supreme Court in Pennsylvania allowed votes that are illegal under Pennsylvania law, if they're not dated properly, if they're not signed, uh, the Supreme Court this time ruled that, no, those don't count. Of course, they didn't go back two years ago and throw out the 250,000 ballots that should not have counted. Uh, and Fetterman was trying to sue before he saw the results that he liked. No, those illegal votes should count. So, again, I, I don't think that it's the whole story, uh, Malik and, and uh, Jamal. It is not uh, the reason that Republicans didn't pick up a lot of House seats around the country. But when you look at those big races, uh, that's what was happening there. And when you look in Michigan, you look in Wisconsin, you look at some of these other states where Republicans narrowly lost governor's races, 
Um, I don't think you can can say that they were fair. And uh, no, I, I can say they're fair. Some of them, and yeah. even with the Whitmer thing, I mean, three to one are the people who basically voted for you know abortion ended up voting Democrat, and that ended up having a much larger showing than I got to be honest than I even thought yeah, was going to take I, place. I honestly don't think that fraud had anything to do with where we are. Even if you're talking about Arizona, there were some issues in Arizona. Now, Arizona being ground zero for election fraud claims, I think that many of the people, um, you know, you had Christina. Bob from, you know, uh, she was on one of the conservative networks, OAN, and many people focused on what was happening in Arizona. The problem that I have with any semblance of the election fraud argument, it reminds me of 2020. Then and now, people have been unable to actually explain the split ticket. So when I say the split ticket, I mean, during 2020, everybody did well except Donald Trump. (laughs) So the conspiracy was that it was a conspiracy against Donald Trump himself. If you look at down-ballot races, Mitch McConnell, um, Lindsey Graham, all of these Republicans won their down-ballot races. We lost at the top of the ticket. Similar thing happened in Arizona. Well, look at what's happening in places where all of the claim are voter suppression, Georgia, Florida, Texas, all of those were run, run well, and the Republicans did well. In Nevada, they tried to close the polls in Nevada because of weather and all of that. But Nevada looks to be one of those places that may actually flip in the um, to the red column. So what I try to reconcile when talking about voter this voter, how is it that it's in specific places and only affects specific candidates? In Arizona, we're looking right now, the governor— um, the governor's race is a larger no. The Carrie Lake that's a closer gap between them than the Blake Masters and the D- 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 Kelly race. Kelly race is actually beating him by a much larger margin, and I don't think that anything around voter fraud explains that dynamic because Kelly is already the incumbent. Yeah, he was, you know, basically expected he, to win. He was expected to win anyway. But if you look at what the polls were. The polls are actually pretty cons- – the outcome is pretty consistent with what the polling was around the time. There were a lot of toss-ups yeah. that they were saying, well, if Very it goes this way versus that way. But the polls themselves were pretty consistent. So I just don't think that – you know, we don't have to relitigate 2020. But I just don't think that fraud – and I imagine if Carrie Lake loses – that's probably what that's she's going to argue, but that is the reason that she will have lost. It's because she's willing to do that type of thing. Well, I, I would also point out, though, that you've got Florida, uh, where they were able to have an election, have the numbers come in, and, and things operate flawlessly. Um, why is it that Florida can run an election, but uh, most of these blue state governors and, and blue states can't run an election where we know the results within 24 hours after the results are over. And I'd also point out that American Idol can, can they can tabulate it over a commercial break. <laughs> look, I look, I agree with you on that part, right? I think they get more votes too on American yeah, they, Idol. They may, they may, <laughs> depending upon the candidate. Look, I agree with you on that. Like we were t- pointing out, Amazon can track a package going from Timbuktu to Florida or from any particular thing, and yet for whatever reason electoral stuff. So you know what, Jamal? I'll add a point to that. Speaking of Florida, because everybody's using Florida as the bellwether, as the example of everything that's great. Guess what Florida has? Early vote. Guess what Florida has? Ballot boxes. Ron DeSantis won by using those same mechanisms that conservatives are railing against. And they he elected pushed. their first Gen Z 25-year-old Maxwell Frost Did to they? District yes. 10. Interesting. Yeah, Democrat. Yeah. Democrat. Corey Mills flipped Florida 7. A friend of mine, Corey Mills, flipped for Florida 7. Corey was out there 
pushing early votes. So Republicans are governors are using these things. They can if you benefit from that stuff too. Brian That's Kemp, right. Greg Abbott, they were pushing early vote, early vote, early vote, ballot boxes, ballot boxes, yeah. all of these things. So you're saying that, they did it right. Yeah, well, they did it right using the things that conservatives the are railing tools, against. Yes. Yeah. Well, what, what do you think of that, Steve? But if conservatives have any sense, they would look at what's happening in these places to say, we need to move away from this no early vote thing. Get your people yeah. out to the polls. What, what do you think yeah. about that, Steve? Does Does Malik have a point there? I mean, the these big Republican governors, these big names in Florida and Texas, use the very thing that the Democrats said worked in their favor. But they have controls in place where they're not just sending ballots to every person out there where people who have died, haven't been in the state for 10 years, are getting ballots. That's what you're seeing in some of these other states. In Florida and Texas, they have controls over who gets the ballot. In many cases, you have to request one. It goes to a specific individual. They have to sign the ballot. They have to date it. Now, one thing I would put in place if, if I was running the state-by-state state election processes. If we're going to have early voting where you can show up in person and vote early, which is where most states have that allowed, uh, that ends, you know, four or five days before actual election day. We ought to have the early voting by mail end at that same time where if your ballot isn't dated of that in-person early voting, so there's time for the mail to get in, the ballot to get in, uh, to review them before you count them on election day, that would start uh, tamping down on some of the fraud and the misuse of and we talked about that, Jamal. So what he's referring to is these different dates. Like, mm-hmm. so for instance, some places on yesterday, they were able to start counting their ballots at 7 o'clock. Oh, I see what you mean. At 7 o'clock a.m. Like they couldn't the touch of. it until the day of. There were yeah. other places that it was 2 o'clock. I believe it was, yeah, I believe yeah. maybe Nevada. It was, it was another place where they couldn't start counting the absentee ballot. They couldn't start counting the ballots until after the last person in line wow. voted oh, themselves. Geez. So this this very so arbitrary. just kind of— Stupid rules. Yeah. Like dumb rules. Just standardize the process. I, I get so sick of the way we do this stuff. Okay, um, what about that, Steve? Should there be—since these are federal elections, should there be a federal process in place, or do you think this is something that the states should still have power over? I think the state should be making the determinations. I I want more things to be decided at the state level closer to the people. I just think there ought to be an oversight by somebody other than a a Katie Hobbs, for example, in in Arizona, overseeing her own election process when it's so screwed up and consistently screwed up. Uh, I think that the states ought to be deciding it. Now, let me touch on the elephant in the room. You know, the the other big reason, and as as, uh, Jamal pointed out, that, you know, you can't attribute a a 10-vote majority in the House, or I think it's going to be about 15 to 17 by the time we're done, uh, and a lot of close races. And like Ricky Bobby says, you know, second is last. <laughs> Ricky Bobby. So the races were close that, uh, that, again, the red wave is a point here and a point there. So yeah. It wasn't that far off um, from, from being there, but I, I'm going to have to say that Donald Trump's candidates did not fare well. Donald Trump putting his finger on the scales during primaries put put his friends and people that were not good candidates like Dr. Oz and others around the country. Uh, a lot of his former staffers were running in these house races. His endorsement got the primary wins and were not good general election candidates. And then I'd put it on Mitch McConnell as well. Really? Why Mitch? Why Mitch? What did Mitch do? Well, Mitch was not being supported in uh, New Hampshire. Uh, he pulled money out of Blake Masters race in Arizona Mitch McConnell was not supporting people who thought would not support him for 
the, the majority leader or for the uh, uh, for the leadership in the Senate, he he was pulling against conservative Republicans that he didn't think would go along with him. We saw that in Alaska. Oh, this is the Trump stuff, right? I mean, this is the conflict between Trump and McConnell, right? Yes. So so that conflict between them, uh, McConnell supporting people that weren't uh, going to be good candidates, uh, Trump, you know, trying to put uh, his imprint on everything. I think I think one of the big losers yesterday was Donald Trump, and one of the big winners, obviously, was Ron DeSantis. As we look towards a presidential race in two years, interesting. Well, now, we're going to know next. Week. Yeah, because I'll say yeah. uh, the, the yes, Donald Trump actually had some losses, but I don't think that they were as dramatic. You know, he he took some L's. He yeah. obviously took some L's, but Donald Trump actually did okay. I I think in those the races that we were talking about, um, like for instance Oz, I do believe that they chose the wrong candidate. They should have chose Dave McCormick instead of Oz. But Walker, I mean, that was one of the ones people were saying, "Oh no, Donald Trump shouldn't have chose Walker." But Walker is actually competitive. very competitive, and it looks like it looks like they're going to go to a runoff. I'll say this. I'll disagree. I, I agree with you that, that DeSantis will take a lot of oxygen out of the room and a lot of people will talk about him for 2024, but I'm still iffy on whether or not DeSantis is a national candidate. I'm not convinced yeah. that Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis works for conservatives, Ron DeSantis works for Florida, but for me, Ron DeSantis has not proven that he is a national candidate. For me, I think at this point, national candidates would be Brian Kemp. Greg really? Abbott. Really? You think oh. Brian Kemp is a national candidate? Oh, absolutely. A Southern a governor from the South who doesn't have the combativeness of either a Donald Trump or a Ron DeSantis. And during the pandemic, Ron DeSantis gets a lift because of his response to the right. pandemic. But Georgia was right next door. Georgia didn't shut down. Yeah. Georgia did very well. But see, Georgia even, didn't get a huge amount of publicity off that, though. And because way they, Kemp were, did. they were all focused on, the, they DeSantis, needed a yeah. foil. Right. And it was only yeah. focused on them. What Ron DeSantis did, and I'll say this and I'll let you respond, Steve. What, what, what Ron DeSantis did was essentially... Um, he took in all of the the lights that were coming towards him. You know, everything was shiny. But look at what Republican governors were doing around the country next door. And um, baby, that's Georgia, uh, Christy Nome, um, Kay Ivey, Kay, you know, Kay Reynolds. All of these Republican governors were doing the same thing that Ron DeSantis was doing. Ron DeSantis got all of the attention for doing it. But they didn't close down. You know, one of the first persons who didn't close down their state was Christy Nome. No one remembers that. No one remembers that she never closed down her state. Yeah. Ron DeSantis gets all the attention because he's the golden boy right now. It's a big state, though. Florida, yeah. Florida has... A lot of electoral votes. Yes. Have it common who who did that, kept their states open. They all won handily, uh, including Kemp, who had had that battle with Trump. Uh, he was able to restore his credibility in the state because he kept the state open. People gave him credit for that. And yet you look at the governors who won in Michigan, in New York, that shut their states down. Their people rewarded them by keeping them in power. Apparently, people like to have barely. Hocho barely won that. I was barely winning that race. Closed and shut down. Yeah, and, and those were actually, and, and you, you made a point about McConnell. I'll have to push back on McConnell because McConnell pulled money out of Arizona because Blake Masters had been trailing. So what people who wanted McConnell to spend money in Arizona was saying, spend your money, spend your money that we need for other candidates. Spend, spend it, it wisely. Spend, yeah, spend it in a state where the incumbent was already, you know, seemingly popular and we weren't running a good candidate. 
it. Why not? And do you know what Mitch McConnell did? And I have the timeline. When Mitch McConnell shifted from Arizona, they started pouring the Mitch McConnell's group, the NRCC, they started pouring money into um, Ohio. And what happened? Tim Ryan. He, won, he lost that. Tim Ryan lost that I'm, race. I'm, not, I'm sorry, not, not Tim Ryan. Um, d- 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 Vance, J.D. Vance. Vance, once Mitch McConnell and the group started focusing on Ohio, Vance's numbers, he closed the gap, and now it seems as if Vance will definitely take that seat. That is the benefit of Mitch McConnell. He wouldn't have sent money to New Hampshire because we have two Democrats. It's it's blue. So sending money to New Hampshire, I don't know why Mitch McConnell would get in that race. You have to spend the money responsibly, and ironically— as much conversation it was about what needs to be done and Donald Trump criticizing Mitch McConnell and other places, Donald Trump didn't give out any of his money to help any hey, of the Papa candidates. Papa ain't throw his money? He yeah. didn't know his cheddar I, in a race? I, I think, and as we reported here, Mitch McConnell groups um, spent over $200 million Go ahead. on Senate candidates. I think Donald Trump spent about $14 million. Yeah, I would agree that Trump you know, does the rallies that are all about him not about the candidates, uh, and as you point out, he wasn't investing money behind candidates, uh, whether at the at the U.S. House level or at the U.S. Senate level. He likes to do rallies that are all about him, and I think that's why uh, if if we move forward and and it's about Trump's personality versus the policies that are going to help carry the day, Trump's personality is not is not what people are embracing. I'm curious, what do you think this means for the? basically politics going forward. Let's say Republicans take the House. Let's say Republicans take the Senate by one vote. Or for that matter, let's say Democrats take the Senate by one vote. What do you think this is going to mean going forward, either for Biden or either for the country itself? I'm just curious on your take. I think that the uh, if the Republicans take the House, which I expect them to take by a 10 or 15 seat majority, which is enough, yeah. they still have a lot of the, the rhinos. They'll have to, you know, herd cats. Um, but you've also got the, the Senate. If they take the Senate, uh, that allows them to, to, to really block uh, the Biden administration's bad policies for the next two years. Uh, but you've still got the Mitt Romneys. You'll probably still have the Murkowskis because of the screwy way Alaska does staged voting, that even though uh, Kelly Sheba, a, a good conservative, is leading Murkowski in Alaska, they, they then go to, what's your second choice? Oh, yeah, ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting is awesome. Uh, so I think that's that's a screwy thing. Now I'd point out one thing on New Hampshire that uh, that I did not know until uh, yesterday. They have what's called domicile voting, and and we have seen that play out to elect Democrats in New Hampshire. Uh, basically, if you're a college student going to to school in New Hampshire, you can declare on election day that your domicile is your dorm room, and you can then vote in New Hampshire. Uh, so a lot of these Massachusetts students that go to college in New Hampshire are domicile voting. Uh, when Kelly Ayotte lost by 1,500 votes six years ago uh, to uh, uh, Hassan, uh, there were 20,000 of these domicile votes in, in a race that she lost by 1,500 votes. Yesterday, Elizabeth Warren was campaigning at the college campuses in New Hampshire to turn out domicile votes that uh, ended up being a significant, if not telling, majority in that uh, in that New Hampshire race and in those New Hampshire congressional races. I know, but Steve, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it that states or that we don't have nationalized elections, meaning that they aren't, um, let's say, standardized across the country, and then argue that this stuff should be in the states. If 
New Hampshire makes a decision that they want domicile voting, then isn't that New Hampshire as a state making a choice on what they want to do? But in many of these places, you have Republican legislators that are allowing this stuff to happen. In New Hampshire, you've got a, a Republican governor. That's precisely my point. That, that meaning, if you're going to say that that stuff should be local, right, if it's going to be states' rights, then it's states' rights. You can't have it both ways. Right, but then I put that on the Republicans who are not operating properly when they are in power. I mean, again, Alaska put in this staged voting simply to help Lisa Murkowski, not to help the citizens of Alaska have a better voting. You mean ranked choice voting? Yeah, where you, again, you know, I vote and then my second choice can overturn your first choice. And, and again, that's what we're seeing in Alaska. I think they're going to do away with it after they successfully uh, keep Murkowski as a Senate uh, uh, colleague of Mitch McConnell, um, which is why he was pouring money behind her rather than behind the conservative candidate there. So you think that Mitch McConnell should have backed the other? Like, I, I'm not I'm not an absolutist in this sense when it comes to the party. I don't think that we need to have everybody in the party who thinks like me. I think there's a benefit to having Murkowski's and Romney's and Collins and all of them. I think there is a benefit. They obviously don't dominate. They're not the majority of those within the party. They can they can. Ha- actually wield a lot of power because they can stop a lot of things. We saw that with on the Democrat side with Manchin and Cinema. They were a thorn in the side of Joe Biden. So I do get the political angle that they kind of mess things up. But I do think that there is a value to having people like Romney and like I think for me, I draw a line between Romney, Murkowski, Susan Collins and, and you know, in in people who are, um, you know, they're in places where it may be a little purple or something like that. I draw a distinction between them and Deliz Cheney and a Adam Kinsey. Like, for me, those are the ones who don't need to be in the party. <laughs> the Liz Cheney's and the Adam Kinsey's, get them out of here. I don't have a problem with them at all. I would say that I'd give a pass to Susan Collins. She's in a blue to purple state. So I'll give her a pass voting what her constituents like and being a little bit more flippy floppy. But Mitt Romney's in Utah. That's as dark red as you can. Very red. <laughs> and he's still making it, though. Yeah. <laughs> he's still, I, I think, I still think making Mitch, it. Mitt Romney likes the adula- adoration. The, he likes the attention yeah. of being John McCain. Uh-huh. So that's essentially what he's acting like. He's acting like the maverick John McCain. And John McCain loved it. He loved people saying that he was a maverick, even though he wasn't necessarily a maverick. (laughs) Steve, thank you, my man. Always enjoy, um, I guess, the back and forth, having a conversation with you about this stuff. Before we close, any closing thoughts on this election? You know, again, I think that, uh, you know, you had a lot of races that uh, Republican House candidates were very close to capturing. I think we're going to see some still get picked up in in California, in Arizona. So, you know, again, as you as you look moving forward, you know, we've got a good bench, uh, both as governors around the country, as uh, uh, members of Congress around the country. So I think our bench is a lot better than the Democrats, and we'll see how things play out in the next couple of years. Yeah, I give you that, because I'm not sure who's on the Democrats bench. If I'm being blunt and honest, I mean, I'm, I'm being sad, serious. Yeah, I don't know bench. who's like meaning three fourths of the public didn't want Joe Biden to run again. They just on the exit poll, the CNN exit poll. And if buyer's he, remorse. Yeah. But who runs if it's not Biden? Right. Like, I don't know the well, I don't Pritzker's know. Pritzker's going to run. Pritzker's going to run. Kamala can't take it. She can't carry the burden. I mean, it's invisible. I don't think Kemp could win either on the other side of this. He's too milk toast. 
Yeah, he puts me in the mind of a Jeb Bush. Well, we're talking about the like the GOP primary. I think there are certain people who can't. I, Donald Trump is going to win the GOP primary. If Donald Trump runs, he's going to yeah. win the GOP primary. But I don't know who's the Biden. I was watching this guy who's making this argument about saying Jamie basically Pritzker, if Biden doesn't win, let me throw an insurgent candidate in there as a, a faux Democrat. Uh-huh. So for all intents and purposes, I've been obviously monitoring my my home mayoral race. Yeah. In Los Angeles, which is Karen Bass, uh, is Congresswoman Karen Bass. Is she going to win? Versus uh, big-time developer Rick Caruso, who owns uh-huh. the Grove. Robinson um, Caruso. Yeah. Primitive as can be. He owns, yeah. he owns the Grove in Los Angeles, as well as the Americana brand in Glendale. Big, yeah. He's a big-time developer, throwing $80 million of his own money into the campaign Go to become ahead. mayor. He switched from Republican to Democrat, right? But for all intents and purposes— He's a Republican. Yeah. Let's mm. let's be honest. He's uh-huh. a big businessman, big name, at least in the the developing developer and real estate world. Yeah. He is edging ahead of sitting Congresswoman Karen Bass, 51.25 to Bass 48.75 uh-huh. at 6 a.m. local time. So just right now, the past 45 minutes. Only 44% in Los Angeles reporting. How have we not... 44%? I get it. We have like 12 million people in Los Angeles, but 44, not even half. Okay. So number one, that drives me crazy. But my point is, Rick Caruso is the insurgent. I think. For as a Republican or a Democrat? He's a secret Republican. But you think he's going to run as a potential, as a Democrat? I think potentially he could win mass appeal, he could be put on the Democrat bench because he might be more likable than Gavin Newsom. Because otherwise, who do, who do the Democrats have? I'm, Gavin Newsom? I'm still, like, th- I'm still putting my money behind Hillary Clinton. And I know, I know all of you doubt it, but I think she's going to be like, it's my turn. I just don't think she can win. She's going to say, who else I'm is on the bench? I'm putting my money behind Kamala Harris. I think are you? She I, cannot it's like win. like they're not no, going to let those black, those black women are not going to let her. Not yeah. that she will but win. But she'll just be but on the... I don't see how they can tell the Kamala the Harris that, that she can't run. You were good enough. Hey, help, the help. You were good enough <laughs> to be... <laughs> the help. I mean, you were good enough to be the second in charge, but when it comes, we're going to... And... and we're going to need a white guy to. But the problem, but, yeah, but the problem is, they would the, put her at the top of the ticket out of courtesy. But see, the problem like, is, not she, out of. She's literally the vice. She's the most powerful. She's the second most powerful Democrat. I know, but she couldn't even country. make it through the primaries. She, I think she'll get primaried by Rick Caruso and Gavin Newsom. She will. I think she, she'll beat them though. I think Clinton is going to run. That would be that would be all California. But who would beat Clinton? <laughs> who would beat Clinton in the Democratic primary? Kamala Harris. You think Clint, you think Kamala Harris would be Clint and there's no way. It would be a split. There's no way that Kamala Harris no. would win that. I think Hillary I think would beat Kamala. Hillary would beat the stepping out of Kamala Harris in the primary. I don't think she would. That's what I, I mean. Think, well, first of all, I don't think she would run. I don't you don't think, think Clinton would run. I don't think Hillary Clinton would yeah, run oh, against God, Kamala Harris. I so bad. Well, I don't think Kamala Harris would run against Clinton. I think, I think the other this way around. is going to be, 2024 is going to be a California Democrat. Because I still think that she has the machinery working in her behalf. And I think a lot of those people look at it as, oh, she was cheated by Trump. It's her turn. I think that stuff will come immediately back. I could be wrong on this. And maybe it's it's because I can't think of anybody. That would be, my vote is that. I want that. I want to see that. It's not, if, look, if I can't find any politician that's in my best interest, then fair enough. 
Give me the spectacle. Just give me the spectacle. I want to perch right. at the edge of the world. Give we me crazy. Spectacle. Yeah. Put crazy on my screen, <laughs> right. please. Right. Just give me all the crazy I can get. If I look, if I can't get somebody who's going to be in that office who I think is going to be in my best interest, or for that matter, working in benefit of the country, at the very least, let me see the at spectacle least give of me it. Something crazy. Yeah. Give me something to watch. Give us well, something we, to talk about. We're gonna for sure have crazy from Donald Trump. Right. Right. Next week, That's Big Papa. Crazy. Next is Tuesday. Running. Big Papa is running. That is happening. That is happening. So and, we will get crazy and starting look, next week. The thing is, the question is, who beats him? Who Nobody. beats him? Nobody. But, Not even DeSantis. Which is, I mean, but I guess my thing is, if you're a Democrat and you're looking at running against Trump, and yeah, you're, and I think Steve is right. The rhetoric for Trump becomes an issue yeah, right off the bat. Meaning you activate Democrats. It's terrible. Yeah. But do you activate them in a way... With, meaning, if Joe Biden doesn't run, Democrats' chance of winning goes down because the president is no longer the incumbent if the president doesn't run. So if three-fourths of the public is like, we don't want the guy to run, what the hell does that even mean? Like, I, you know, I don't know what this means. I don't think anybody beats Donald Trump. I think people are going to have a hard time beating him, but we'll see. I mean, I, I, yeah, we'll see. Um, but look, let's do this. Let's take calls. The number is 202-521-1320. That is 202 Five two one one three two zero, and yeah, I think Democrats have an issue with their bench. Kamala Harris couldn't make it through the primaries, so I have a hard time believing that somebody who couldn't make it through the primaries is going to win. At the very least, I mean, oftentimes what happens is the VP gets tasked. Okay, hey, go do this, and that way your name is out. People see you in the public light. Kamala Harris been is invisible this entire well, look term. At, look at what she's been tasked with. The first thing she was the borders are. She was the borders are, but she didn't even go to the border. But it was it was such a BS, like, what is she going to do? I, I get it. Like but she, at the very she, least, I mean, look, a lot of politics is just glad-handing and yes. theater. Give me theater. At the very least, make it look as if I'm at the border. I'm having talking to these people. I'm trying to get this done. I'm trying to get that done. At the very least, people can say, okay, she went there. She was doing stuff. I, I think no, she around, had no ability to do anything. I honestly all. believe people around Joe Biden said Kamala We got Harris a caller. Oh, oh, Mark. Mark in New York. New York. What's going on, Mark? Good, good morning. It's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure to hear your guys' voices again. Uh, let me just say that uh, it's unfortunate that your show would come down to the typical echoes of the CNN president, I believe, who says, uh, you know, it's good for ratings. <laughs> okay. Well, what? I mean, give us the specific. What's your criticism on that one? I mean, what did we say that gives you that idea that this is purely just a CNN thing? Give me your take. What's going on? Well, I, I happen to agree with you. However, when you say, you know, give me the spectacle. Oh, I see what you mean. Well, because I, I mean, come on. How am I wrong on that? I mean, what, what am I like? I mean, do you honestly believe, like, for, for example, who do you put from the standpoint of Democrats from the standpoint of a bitch? And do you believe that either of these candidates is going to do anything from the standpoint of the country that is in your best interest as opposed to basically their own political expedient? Jamal, you know my position. I think we, we, we're similar in this or neither one, the duopoly think they're basically for show what works for the on the whole thing, no matter what party. It's just that we have gotten so bad that we have competing narcissists. Right. <laughs> exactly. 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 Throughout our country. And with all due respect to uh, Malik and the you know, what he calls himself the MAGA, you know, I mean, make America great. I'm all for making America great, but not making America great again because it's never been. Just never been. We have a lot of work to do in defining what that means, and it can't be defined through these partisan parties that we have. And unfortunately, like you, Malik, I hear you and your dismay about the Democratic Party, and it was a letdown. Uh, but I start with one perspective, how it gets down to my value. 
I voted against my representative in the House, Gregory Meeks. I know him. He's a personal dummy. I'll say this up front. Um, and I don't have a lot of respect for him when he votes against the interests of a punitive interest uh, against African nations standing up on their own. So it goes to the geopolitics as well as the local part. These guys are not, they just put them in this Democratic district, voted them in because it was a Republican, but it didn't matter. No one looked at the values. This is, this is where we are. And we're just voting like lemmings in machinery that's not serving our interests. We're not asking what do we want. We ought to be asking that, whether whatever voting block it is. Agreed. We're not getting to those values that make a difference. We're, you, know, you know the picture. You guys cover geopolitics. You're very important. But when you get down to local stuff, you see who we got in? We got imbeciles in these offices, both, both parties. Well, it's almost as if it's almost like the voting thing is just there to make people think they have a choice even though the choice is not really there. Like, it's, it's, it's super weird. It's almost like it's just the mechanics of it. It's like, okay, well, people go after, what, every couple of years, and they go put their tally in and say, I won't vote for this person. But oftentimes, that stuff is just written blue. It doesn't really get to the, you know, the, the, the nub of, okay, is this something that's going to be a benefit or, or otherwise? Mark, thank you, my man. I always appreciate your commentary. Let's go to Michael from Sydney. Michael, Australia. What's going on, man? Hello. Yeah, hey guys, I used to call in all the time, um, back in the day, but I don't watch it anymore because you're hard to find, but I found you guys on Rumble, so I'll tune in occasionally again. Yep, 7 to 10, every day, Rumble, we're here. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's slightly different, uh, that's all right, we're different times, aren't we? <laughs> right. I'm between 11, 11 to 2 currently, in daylight savings on Australia. Oh, okay. Apart from the, the yeah, I, uh, I, PM to AM, but anyway, aside from that, I'm reading in because about, uh, I call him yeah, Elon Musk, I call him Evil Pass, right? I've a tweet about him, about Evil Pass and how he's supporting the industrial industrial complex, while he's uh, also like praying free speech. I've got a few choice words I did, but nothing violent. Now I got barred from, I can't even my Twitter, Twitter account. You Wait, did. you said your Twitter account you got, got hit. You got banned? I, I, I said I'll delete the tweet before I get access again. Oh, no warning. Well, I mean, like he did to Kathy Griffin, he said, from here on, there's there will be no warnings. We will just ban you. Well, it's a free speech platform. What happened? Yeah, maybe or not. But yeah, I'll get no access on my Twitter account. Yeah, it's supposed to be a free speech platform. What happened? I mean, he was, at some point, they were saying turning around to like the First Amendment, like that level of a platform and everything else, that doesn't seem to be taking place. Um, Michael, sorry to hear you Michael, got banned. I know. Yeah. Just make a new one. See what happens. Right. That's what Scott Ritter, <laughs> that's what Ritter did. Let's Ritter was happens. like testing, testing, and they got rid of Ritter almost immediately. All right, let's go to Tarif. New Orleans. What's going on, Tarif? We got about a minute, Tarif. Thank you. I'm going to be quick anyway. Here I go. First, I'd like to say free drone and Saudis and Chinese meat, which we all know. Yes, in Riyadh. Yeah. Pressure on the pressure. That's going to be pressure on, on Petrodollar. You, you might they might tie themselves to a, the, the basket of currencies with Russia and China voting out there. Russia and Ukraine. Russia won't um, talk now with Ukraine. You'll see how it's going to play out. 90,000 um, troops in, in NATO. In, in Eastern um, Europe is training, and there's rumors that they might go into um, Western Ukraine. Oh, that would be disastrous. That would be disastrous. Well, Western Ukraine. I don't think Russia's going to go into Western Ukraine, but still, it's... <sighs> Whistling by the graveyard, in the way that Sean Blackman said. I stole that from Sean, because I love the way that sounds. Whistling by the graveyard. Tariq, thank you, my man. We hear the music. I want to thank our engineer. I want to thank our producers. I want to thank Malik Abdul for joining us. I want to thank Manila Chan, co-host. And I want to thank all of you, the rumblers, the radio listeners, all of you. Thought lines. 
back in the morning. Have a good one, guys. Fault lines.